does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So it's admittedly a Tuesday that feels like a Monday because last night kind of felt like a Sunday, right? Yesterday? Yeah. I slept for like half the day. But how many times so far today, Jimmy Cook, have you thought to yourself, wait a minute, it's Tuesday, not Monday? At least three. At least three out of the gate. But the good news is, and I want yours and Eddie's thoughts on this, I would argue in terms of avenues throughout the calendar where there are four-day weekends or built-in weekends of some kind, this is the easiest work week to get through. And the main reason is because it is just a few short days from the start of the NFL season. I think that's enough to carry folks, particularly if you're diehard football fans, through the short week. Because a lot of people have the holiday weekend hangover, but I would argue it dampers a little bit because of that little carrot that's dangling But I feel like the NFL season began like a month ago. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, like it, as soon it? as, you know, like... I'm old enough to remember when the preseason, people were like, yeah, wake me up when that's over. And now, I mean, that's, you know, you got primetime games and primetime rosters and everything else. I always say, and I'm not saying I'm not excited about it, Jimmy, but I always say my only hesitation, the only hesitation for me about the, like, Labor Day weekend and kickoff of football is literally you blink your eyes and it's 40 and raining outside. Because I love the summer. I love everything about the summer. I love the weather. I love like pools being open. I love people taking vacations. I love golf. I mean, I, I don't golf personally, but how much people love it. Like all the things that come with summertime, I love. And then while I love football and I love football season and I love the autumn, I do not like winter. It's the pumpkin spice paradox. <laughs> it Everybody's is so excited about the arrival of fall and what it brings. And then you're right. In the blink of an eye. Winter is knocking on the door. Uh, good afternoon to you, by the way, on Indeed, a Tuesday that feels like a Monday. My name is Jake Query. That is Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Big show lined up. We're going to go down to Jacksonville, home of Maxwell House Coffee, and breathe in the aroma. If you're listening right now, if you just stop for a second, in 28 minutes from now, you'll be able to just, just breathe in. And smell the aroma of the roasted coffee beans of Jacksonville, Florida. Because Maxwell House's factory or their roasters or whatever are right there downtown. And the whole town smells pleasantly like roasting coffee. And John Osher is a writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who the Colts open up with, of course, this weekend. So John, who used to be a writer for Colts.com, will join us at 1230 today. Rob Blackman, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers at 1.30. And then Mike Chappell at 2 o'clock Today, So there's plenty to talk about. The primary focus will, of course, be on the Colts and the NFL slate of things. But we'll begin with this. Jimmy, how was your weekend? Weekend was great. Took a road trip. Uh, this is Eddie Ooh, Can, I guess, eyes can I guess your road trip? You can, yes. Uh, how far? When you got in the car, you were how far from your destination? Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours, okay. And, well, did, you, did it involve sports? It did not. Okay. Uh, did you leave the state? I did. We did, yes. My wife and I and our my mother-in-law and father-in-law. Okay. Um, were you within, and this is my last question, were you within one hour of a major body of water? No. Okay. 
Uh, I'm going to guess that you went to Lexington, Kentucky to do like a bourbon thing with your father-in-law. So the second half of that trip, we did stop into Woodford Reserve. So that's good, but that was not the primary purpose of the trip. Primary purpose of the trip was my wife and mother-in-law have been wanting to take a trip to see what the hype is about at Bucky's. Oh, yeah, okay. So Nothing wrong with that. We, we, we made that journey. That's actually kind of cool. Now, Bucky's was a big theme uh, on the morning show that I did with Mark Dykedin because he is a Bucky's fan. I first discovered Bucky's across from the Texas Motor Speedway. There's a Bucky's there. Um, your overall thoughts? My bar was is this going to be a glorified truck stop and it's not going to be anything? And it cleared that bar. They, 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 it was organized chaos. Uh, I had a brisket sandwich that was delicious. I brought some fudge back. Uh, it was it was very good all around. I would I would give it a seven out of ten for the purpose of our journey. If you're on a long vacation, <laughs> if you're on a long vacation and it's a stop like you're going to Gulf Shores, eight or nine in terms of what you could expect for a stop on a vacation trip. Well, here's the thing. Number one, it has literally. They have. Let me ask you this. And I listen. We're only five minutes in, and I don't want people turning the station yet, but did you use the facilities? I did. Okay. It is like the Taj Mahal. Now, the the Jake Quarry rule on road trips, and I don't want to be graphic here, but people can figure out where I'm going here. If you're on a road trip, and I'm the king of road trips, I've you know I, I mean I go to Clemson games a couple times a year by myself, etc. I've done many a trip by myself. Uh, if you need to use the restroom on road trips. Hotels are always a must because they always have a like a private. You act like you're going to the pool. You just go over and there's always a private restroom. So if you if you have to to pull off of the interstate, hotels an absolute must. Bucky's though raises the bar because they have like 50 individualized bathrooms, but they also have a staff of like of 52 people inside said bathrooms with a mop in hand and like an, a bottle of air freshener. And every time you go into one, it literally is like it's like you're going to a home showing. Yes. Like a model home showing. It's unbelievable. But then the Bucky's itself, you know, the food, and then did you get like, you know, you can get like caramelized rattlesnake jerky. You know what I mean? They have like yes. every, they have like an entire wall of jerky. It's like, it's like going to Galleons, but instead of a rock climbing wall with Nike shoes, it's jerky uh, of every single variation. And then like, the, did you get the banana pudding? I did not get the banana pudding. Oh, buddy. I got That's some. Living. I did get some jerky, but it was per a request from our own Eddie Garrison. So I got him some jerky. Um, Eddie, I wa- brought you nothing back from Portland, by the way. You said bring <laughs> me back something indigenous. The only thing that I could bring back from Portland that is native to Oregon um, is not legal in Indiana. So I didn't, <laughs> so I didn't bring you anything back. My I wonder apologies. what that would be. My apologies. They, I don't know if you know this or not, but they actually have THC jerky in Oregon. I believe that. Yeah, they do. Um, Much like Bucky's puts its name on anything, so does THC in, is, in those that parts of the country. So that was your uh, that was Saturday or Sunday? That was Saturday. Okay. And then Sunday and Monday uh, was at my sister-in-law's house, just poolside. Shoot some hoops, pool basketball style, and living large. Eddie, yourself? On Saturday, what did I do Saturday? I can't remember what I did Saturday, but on Sunday went up to um, Syracuse, Indiana. Was on Lake Wabasi for a couple hours. Uh, was out uh, lakeside for majority of the day. Had a lot of fun visiting the, the girlfriend's family. And then yesterday, I uh, went uh, furniture shopping with my parents. Oh well, that that is fun there. Now on the way to Wabasi, did they still have the sign in Swayze, Indiana that says Swayze, Indiana, home of like twelve overtime high school football game? The problem is that I fell asleep on my way out there, you, so we could have. You obviously passed were it. not driving, right? Correct. I was passenger. 
<laughs> Both, <laughs> to and from. If you pass Swayze, they, they used to have, I don't know if they still do, a big billboard bragging about the time that they won like 12 overtime football game years ago. Uh, I was in Oregon, obviously. Congratulations. Alex Pillow is the IndyCar season champion. But uh, one race left this weekend coming up, Laguna Seca. That is in Monterey, California. So... Uh, obviously, it was at the racetrack Saturday then, and we'll get into this later in the program. I did go to the Goonies house. Have you guys both seen the Goonies? I've seen the Goonies, yes. Eddie? No comment. You've never seen the Goonies? Nope. Are you familiar with the Goonies? Yes. Because one of the guys that I work with, no names mentioned on IndyCar Radio, um, kind of takes pride in his like lack of pop culture awareness. But he's never, not only has he never seen the Goonies, he insinuated essentially that he's never heard of the Goonies. Now I can't get on you for not having seen it, Eddie, because I've never. There are a lot of movies I've never seen, but I've seen enough reference to them. Like you've seen reference to the Goonies, right? Yes, yeah. Like you know about like you know, sloth and you know the chunk and all. Sloth, yes. chunk, yep. yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but anyway, that that was filmed in Astoria, Oregon. So on Saturday afternoon, I went to Astoria. I saw the Goonies house, but it is. I didn't go there just to see the house itself. Uh, it's as breathtakingly beautiful as any part of the country that you're going to find. Anywhere. The house, the whole, I mean, the house too, yeah. because it's up on a hill that overlooks where the Columbia River is going into the Pacific Ocean, and just, I mean, the geography alone out there. Now you sent us a video. It's unbelievable, very marvelous. Yeah. The highlight of the weekend for me was when I sent a video of my view from atop what essentially is a lighthouse in Astoria, Oregon, and Eddie sent back a video to me of him here in studio. Which was pretty good, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Um, so college football, obviously, over the course of the weekend, you know, I didn't see a lot of the games, but in today's world, you can go back and, and see everything you need to see. And, and we'll begin, Jimmy, with Indiana. Um, they got to do something about their offense. I, you know, listen, they're playing Ohio State, who I know is a great team, and I guess kudos if there's a silver lining to keeping it respectable from a score standpoint. But Indiana offensively, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Yes. And I don't think either of those two quarterbacks did anything to separate themselves. They've got to pick – they've got to select one of them and roll with it and just go with it and see what happens. But um, their offensive ineptitude is of major concern. And my concern for Indiana, or my thought for about Indiana, Jimmy, would be this. Tom Allen is a wonderful person. Don't get me wrong. I don't know him well. Disingenuous to say that I do. But I have nothing against him as a human being, a man. And I know people that played for him that absolutely love him and consider him a father figure. And all those things are fabulous. Those people played for him at Ben Davis where he had some success. But I think he's a really good as we saw from the college standpoint, you know, in the college game, he's a good defensive coordinator, which is what enabled him to get the job, obviously, at Indiana, and then made him a coach of interest of programs for a while. But for me, you know, Indiana last year was not good at all. There's no reason to believe that all of a sudden things totally turn around this year. Part of that is their schedule is really difficult because of the conference, you know, the, the, the way they are in the conference. But Jimmy, Indiana's in a, in a tough spot here because if you look right now at what's going on with the Big Ten, the Big Ten's at 18, and as I'd mentioned, and I will stand by this, the Big Ten thought they were going to get Stanford and Cal. They went after Virginia, Carolina, didn't get it. 
went back to Stanford and Cal. I think they thought for sure they were going to get that to round it out to 20 in the conference. The Big Ten is clearly going to be a super conference, whether it's 18 or whether they, in fact, go out and get, say, Carolina again as an overture or Notre Dame, which I don't think they'll get, but whatever it may be, I think they'd like to have 20, but at the very least, they're going to have 18. And the Big Ten has been the leader in the conference realignment. The Big Ten is the one with their hands on the steering wheel. The Big Ten is the one with the most money. The Big Ten is the one with the, the most powerful network, the most powerful TV alliances. And as a result of that, the the stock or the sexiness of being at the Big Ten is never going to be higher than it is right now. And as a result of that, to be a member of the Big Ten has never been more, there's never been more cachet about being a Big Ten member than in September of 2023. I was just in Portland and Oregon State was playing. And Oregon State's playing and you know, DJ Uyungle, who who had played at Clemson, is throwing for you know he, he's he's responsible for five touchdowns, and you know here comes Oregon State, and and literally all of the talk of people I'm talking to at Oregon State is like, what are they going to do? I mean, they, they and Washington State are completely left out in the cold now, and they're going to go to like the Mountain West, and all of the wind was taken out of that uh, out of those sails. People are paying attention to the conference alignments and the power that come with it. So for Indiana. There have to be coaches right now. Indiana's ability to sell itself as a program to prospective coaches and or recruits has never been higher than it is right now. And I'm not sitting here campaigning for Tom Allen to lose his job. Do not get me wrong. I think he's a wonderful human being, but he's also been there a long enough time that if it was going to take off, I think it would have happened by now. And there is... If Indiana wanted to make a coaching move, it would there would never be a better time in terms of the cachet of that program to do so than you know right now or at the end of this year. But contractually speaking, I just think it's too expensive for them. I hope for Tom Allen it works out, but based on what you saw from their offense in particular, it's hard to see how if it's a long season. I get it, but man, Jimmy, from a quarterbacking standpoint. They got to pick one of those guys and run with it, but they but that was a, a completely inept offensive performance. Yeah, I mean their offense looked as bad as it has at any point in time the last couple of years. But at the same time, it's against one of the top teams in the country, and I'm not going to sit here and point to Indiana and say that this is going to be a, a high powered season that leads them to a bowl game or not. But the offense, for me is going to get an opportunity to respond against Indiana State and is going to be able to hopefully build off of what was a struggle fest on that side of the ball against one of the best teams in the country. My major takeaway, though, is that, and we we stressed this going into that game against Ohio State, and we said it all offseason, if Indiana is going to be in any chase for six wins or chase for a bowl appearance this year, their defense is going to have to be far better than it was the last two seasons. And I know that 23 points up on the board still isn't something that you're like, man, that's something that we're going to ride home for. And if we give up 23 points a game every time, we're going to be in battles. But against a top team like Ohio State and the way they limited Marvin Harrison Jr., there's positive takeaways on the defensive side of the ball. But yes, if the offense doesn't meet them halfway, it's going to be a long season. To your point, though, Jake, it's not just the money. I don't know how much incentive there is within the program to spend the money to move Tom Allen. I don't know if they view it as a 
this is an audition for our future within the Big Ten. I, I get it. Indiana's problem has always been this, and this was true in basketball for a long time as well. Um, I, Indiana went through a period there, athletically speaking, for like 20 years, where the second that a girl gave them the first kiss, they were ready to get married. They, they, they didn't let things organically come into place to see whether or not it truly was a long-term relationship. It was like, this is wonderful. Let's get married now. Here, here's the house. Here's the, you Take everything. And then after a couple of years, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, maybe we should have, like, vetted this a little bit more um so i you know i don't know i mean i'm curious to see what happens with them you know indiana state coming up on friday night they should get a win there it's a critical four game stretch as we talked about with don fisher last week that they've they've got to try to get like three of the first five right um and i don't think anybody thought they were going to beat ohio state but at least show some i thought they were going to get whacked offensive pulse like like, correct I, i get it for some people maybe 20 points is that but they were 30-point dogs. Yeah, right? no, I, I mean, I, I, I get it. They were not – it was not a 56-3 to three game, I, yes. Which I think w- what a lot of people maybe expected going into that. But, man, I mean, you got to show some sign of life offensively. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, to your point of limiting Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr., like on the Ohio State of things, I think that was one of the worst games I've ever seen out of Ryan Day. Like, th- he didn't even try to get Harrison Jr. involved in the but game. But, you know – sorry, my, my phone just decided to start playing something. Uh, but – Ryan Day's always Ohio State fans. Eddie will tell you that that Ryan Day, if anything, the thing about him that that they, I think, nitpick is that he's too offensively conservative half the time, right? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, yeah. On Saturday, they played like a team that knew they were going to win, so they just didn't even really try to go out there and roll out their best plays offensively. I, I mean, that's entirely possible, though. Quite frankly, that's in, that's entirely possible. You know that that. That they I, you keep some cards close to the chest yes. because you understand it's inferior competition. Correct. Sure. I mean, there is a chance of that, right? Uh, Purdue, on the other hand, against Fresno State, uh, look, that was a three and a half point spread going into it, and I don't say that like to to sit there and other than to illuminate the fact that whenever a game is a three and a half point spread, that basically means it's a pick 'em. Yeah, and you're giving the advantage to the home team. Fresno State's good. I mean, that's a program that's won twenty games in the last two years total. Uh, but Purdue for a team, Jimmy, that I think this year in particular is going to hang its hat defensively on who they want to be, um, that was a disappointing one probably for, for Purdue as well. Yeah, if there was a way to uh, you know finally, it's never happened, put hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, rivalries to bed, you put uh, Indiana's defense there in West Lafayette and you are right. Purdue's offense in Bloomington and maybe we're having different conversations right. for both these teams. Look, I, I think Purdue's going to be a lot of fun particularly from the offensive side of things, a lot of explosive plays against Fresno State. But fun isn't the calling card for that program. Even with Coach Walters' first game as a head coach, it's going to all be relying on what they're able to do on the defensive end. And you would hope that if that's a rematch midseason, I know they don't play Fresno State again, but if they did, that defense as it continues to operate underneath Ryan Walters is more to form where they're able to close things out than they struggled to on Saturday but offensively like I said very very fun atmosphere across the forward for Purdue now here was bad news over the weekend for Notre Dame you ready oh no I have bad news for you for the Notre Dame fighting Irish the Clemson game matters less now correct and that's bad news for Notre Dame because Notre Dame as an independent Notre Dame is always going to have and I know they're Notre Dame. They're the biggest brain in college football. But especially now, with the conference realignments coming and Notre Dame staying independent, 
partially the fault of Notre Dame, partially just circumstance. Notre Dame is always going to have to have to prove just a little bit something more than other teams to get benefit of the doubt when it comes to the college football playoff committee. Notre Dame's schedule this year is not overly daunting, but they have three, three big games. Ohio State, USC, and Clemson, theoretically. Now, they can drop, Notre Dame can drop one, and maybe even, if it's close, two of those games. Possibly. I think that scenario is more likely for the 12 team. But now, okay, I'll put it to you this way. For Notre Dame, like if Notre Dame was to lose to Ohio State, the thought process would be a loss to Ohio State for Notre Dame. They still would be in the playoff committee if they then beat the pair of Clemson and USC. USC. Okay? Or if they were to lose to USC, they could offset that by winning the pair and accumulating it of Ohio State and Clemson. Clemson losing to Duke. And I said, Jimmy, listen, I'm a diehard Clemson fan. I mean, I follow him pretty closely. But I did say, and I, I think I said, it, you know, like in the offseason when Kevin and I would talk about college football, I was saying, the Clemson thing is over. In terms of Clemson being in that LSU-Alabama echelon, Ohio State, it's over. They're going to go back to being what they were before, which is like oscillating between Iowa and like Michigan in terms of competitive level. Partially because Dabo Sweeney has bucked the trend of the transfer portal and also been outspoken against NIL. And the recruiting has dropped as a result of it, and you could you could see it last night. Now, Clemson still should not have lost that game because they had three different, three first and goals inside the five-yard line where they got zero points out of those three possessions. You want to talk about offensive struggles. That was the entirety of that ball game, Well, especially in the red zone. Their offensive struggles weren't bad until the red zone yeah. where, where turnovers killed them, right? Yeah. But Clemson is probably going – for Clemson, and not to turn this – there's a reason I'm talking about that. Nobody here cares about Clemson. Right. I get that. But it does apply to Notre Dame. If Clemson, win that, if Clemson wins that game, as Clemson typically does, wins those games they're supposed to win – right? Clemson's two big matchups of the year would be Notre Dame and Florida State. Like if Clemson went into Florida State undefeated and beat them and then Notre Dame beat Clemson, that's a huge feather in the cap for Notre Dame's resume. Absolutely. Right? Yep. But Clemson now by losing to Duke, let's say they lose to Florida State and let's even throw one more curveball in there like South Carolina at the end of the year. Entirely possible. If you throw so if Clemson suddenly is a three loss team and the fourth is a loss to Notre Dame, then all of a sudden Notre Dame now only has two wins on their resume and and if they were to lose one of those two USC Ohio State games, they only have one other altering offsetting win. They like because I think Notre Dame is going to beat Clemson at Clemson, but they need Clemson to be showing itself as the Clemson of the brand of the last 10 years. And that loss last night, I, I think, does hurt Notre Dame a little bit because Notre Dame is going to be, when it comes selection Saturday or whatever day of the week, selection Tuesday for the <laughs> for the playoff, Notre Dame is going to have to stand up there and state its case, and they need Clemson to be one that goes into that, quote, great win category. And that, that gets null, you know muted a little bit. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you're a year away from this mattering a little bit less. With the expansion, in theory, you get one more buffer game, I would think. I think for the first time, you could make an argument for a two-loss Notre Dame team to make the college football playoff, but that's a year from now. It's still a four-team. Last year, we see that this year. And yeah, you're right. I mean, 
Notre Dame still is able to control that aspect of their schedule if they take care of business against Ohio State, and that's a big if. And if they beat USC, which again, Caleb Williams continues to be one of the best shows that you can find in college good. football. That's a daunting task. But what do they play SC? That's at Notre Dame. But but fortunately for them, both of their top tier games outside of the Clemson one are at Notre Dame Stadium. Now, I'll tell you what though. This weekend, this coming weekend, where do they play Saturday? At NC State. I'm telling you. That game to me, that to me so far, that's Notre Dame's early. Now it's not a make or break game. I disrespected the Wolfpack when you were gone on Friday. That but was my one mistake. NC State is good. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yep. Like that's I'm not saying they're great, but that that is a NC State, to put it in Big Ten terms. NC State is, is a little bit like above a Minnesota. Like you can't overly you can't totally sleep on Minnesota, right? I'd say more like an Iowa, except for that Iowa is always good until they play anybody with a pulse and then invariably they lose every year. So probably more like a a normal year Michigan State or may, not quite Wisconsin, but I'm telling you, North Carolina State is a decent yeah. program. Like that's not a bad team. That's not an, in other words, that is the proverbial trap game because they're an easy team based on brand to kind of overlook. And so you don't actually think about it as a legitimate, but but if you are not on your P's and Q's, they can trip you up. I went to a game, a Clemson-NC State game, I mean, this is years ago, 10 years ago. I drove 600 miles to go to, by myself to go to Raleigh to see NC State, Carter Finney Stadium, I think is the name of the stadium. I, I walk in, I'm dressed in all Clemson gear. Um, I had kind of toured around the area, so I got there just a little bit late, like probably missed the first whatever two percent i walked in they were down like 17 to 3 when i walked in <laughs> they were down like 31 to 3 at the half and th- an older couple sitting next to me i think took pity on me because they they said and i quote uh, you know we, we have season tickets because our kids go to nc state now um but we we have plenty of room at the house are you driving back tonight i go yeah and they said well you're more than welcome to stay if you'd like in the morning we go to church and then we usually have a very nice breakfast how was breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, you know what? I'll eat at Bucky's. And that's what I did, right? And I drove home on my way. John Osher, by the way, Colts.com is where he used to work. Jaguars writer now, and he's going to join us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Going to head down to, I think they call it the First Coast. I'll have to ask John Osher specifically what coast they call Jacksonville. Uh, down in Florida. Going to go down there in just a matter of seconds. But want to remind you folks before that, on Wednesday, September 20th, you can go to the Radio 1 Job Fair from 10 a.m. until 4 o'clock at Martin University. It's a career fair from Martin University. Martin University Career Fair, 10 until 4, Wednesday, September 20th. You can get your foot in the door for the dream job you've been waiting for, have your resume reviewed by HR professionals, and get a free headshot. Again, that's September 20th from 10 until 4 at Martin University. For all of the information, go to 1075thefan. Com. Joining us now on the hotline from Jacksonville, a guy who is no stranger to these parts and talking about the Colts and Jaguars over the course of the years and has seen both sides of it. John Osher joins us from the Jaguars website. And John, we'll begin with this. Is it First Coast? Did I get that wrong? 
It is First Coast. Yeah, it, it, it's been called many things over the years. Some not great, others great, but it, it's it's uh, First Coast. And uh, for a long time, it was the bold new city of the South. So those are some of the nicknames. And in your intro, you said, I'm no stranger. Well, it's been 12 years, so I might be a stranger these days. But it's always good to talk to you guys. Now, what's the second coast? Do we know that? Uh, I, I assume the second coast would probably start around Daytona Beach, but they don't call that anything. They just uh, <laughs> somewhere in Florida, Park. some guy in Florida somewhere is like, "Man, I'm sad about Jimmy Buffett, but at least I'm on the second coast, right?" <laughs> That's right. That's hey, right. um, I guess it would start in Daytona. So, so John, you've been uh, with the Jags now for 12 years. You've obviously seen, you know, a. A franchise like most over the course of 12 years that has its ebbs and flows certainly feels like, and this is obviously stating the obvious, but um, there's a lot of optimism, I would assume, about the Jags, and it looks like a franchise on the rise. But where do things stand right now just in terms of how their offseason's gone and where they are from a health standpoint here getting ready to kick off the year? Yeah, it's been mostly ebbs, and there was one flow in, in 17 when they were good, but then it started to change, obviously, when they got Lawrence and, you know, Peterson has come in, and now it feels, uh, you know, it, it feels, frankly, like I imagine it felt in 98-ish around Indy with Peyton. And I'm not going to say the Jags are getting ready to go on a 13-year run like that, but the parts have kind of come together. Uh, right now, going into this season specifically, they feel like this offense is going to be really good. They added Calvin Ridley, who has looked uh, as good as any receiver I've been around since Marvin Harrison. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's Marvin, but it's the first time that they've had a one, a guy who can really take the top off. He can do everything in, in routes, and he makes you cover him the way defenses had to cover Marvin Harrison back in the day. Uh, so when you add that to Christian Kirk, to Zay Jones, to – Evan Ingram, you're talking about an offense that has an awful lot of potential, and it uh, it sort of started to flex that late last season. Uh, they're in their second season under Peterson, which, uh, you know, when Peterson was with the Eagles was the year they took off. They won the Super Bowl, and Carson Wentz had a near-MVP season. So that's sort of the storyline around this team. Can this offense, which was top 10 last year, be elite, be a 28-29 point-a-game offense. Uh, that's what they're sort of hanging their hat on as they go into this. John, we talked about going into the offseason and going into training camp that the big early test for the Jaguars would be an internal test and how they would respond while Cam Robinson's out with his suspension. Where's your outlook for this offensive line going into week one now? Yeah, uh, it's good. I mean, there's a little bit of a disconnect between what observers are thinking and how this team feels about its line. Uh, Walker Little, who was a second-round pick in 21, I think I'm getting that right, um, he, he has started at left tackle in, in the past. He's, he's the guy they think will be their left tackle going forward. So they're okay with Little starting out left while Cam's on suspension. They feel like maybe they'll move Little to guard for – uh, a year after he comes back, and then Little will be a starter next year, if you follow me. That was sort of convoluted. But really, the issue they've had is more with their depth during the preseason. They had some injuries. But uh, they like their line going in. As long as they don't have any more injuries along the depth, uh, they feel like they're better there than people think. And uh, 
so far with this bunch, they've never proven that wrong on the offensive line. They've always been a little better than people give them credit for up there. John Osher is our guest. He's with Jaguars.com down in Jacksonville. John, let's go back to what you were talking about with Manning and, and Trevor Lawrence. And I will give the disclaimer here. I watched Trevor Lawrence literally every snap he took in college because that's the team that I watched from a college standpoint. And yeah. I truly felt like Trevor Lawrence was the closest that I had seen. And, and look, a scout guru, I am not. But – Coming out of college, I thought, this guy can make every throw. He can run when he needs to. He's unbelievably smart. But I think that at the NFL level, he had to adjust to the fact that he was no longer throwing to T. Higgins and Justin Ross and you know guys that were a step and a half ahead of their defender. Once that came together for him, do you think, in fact, that we've seen enough body of work to say that he is, in fact, the guy? Or is there still learning curve for him before we can emphatically make that statement? Well, I, I, I think both is kind of true, and I'm not trying to sort of get around the question. He, he's definitely the guy here, uh, and he's going to be the guy. Um, now, is he going to reach that you know, Brady-Manning level? Obviously, you said the disclaimer. I, I can't put anybody there because I saw Peyton do it for so long. Um, but – I think the biggest thing, yes, there was an adjustment to not stop throwing to guys who were wide open, but it was such a mess here his rookie year with Urban Meyer with uh, with so much change. Um, in the second half of last season, he threw 15 touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, he had a bad first half in the playoffs, then overcame it uh, with a great uh, first half you know, with a great second half against the Chargers. So he's got that it factor. Um, I hear what you're saying. You can't really put it guy on him until he does it for more than a half a season. But if if he's not elite, if he's not one of the top five for the next 10 years, uh, boy, I've got it wrong too. Because I think he's heading there, and I think uh, year two under Doug Peterson is going to be sort of his – his time to solidify what the uh, what the back half of last season was. John, the funny thing, and you know this, John Osher, because you were here. For those that are unfamiliar, as we alluded to at the beginning, you know, you were the writer for the Colts for years, so you saw it up close and personal, probably closer than most. But for those that are unfamiliar with it, the thing that I've always thought was amazing about Manning is you'd be in the locker room like on Wednesday availability and guys would be you know a couple of them be playing Madden somebody be playing music and at their locker and and then Manning comes around the corner and literally you could tell that the locker room would kind of freeze for a moment to find out what his mood was before they proceeded with their activity he was so clearly the alpha right yeah does Lawrence exude that same thing well they're different um you know Manning you know, I, I don't give away the farm here, but not every teammate loved Manning. Agreed. Uh, but they respected him. You know, it's sort of like even if maybe some of the defensive guys uh, resented some of the pubs sometimes or all those little things that get into a locker room, boy, they knew they needed him on that wall. And everything centered around him, and there was never anything, anything but respect and they knew they were going to war with this guy. To use that bad cliche, I don't mean to go there, but uh, 
So I think that describes Peyton pretty well as a leader. Lawrence, um, I don't know that he has that sort of where you're scared when he walks in, but he's definitely the guy. Uh, And to me, Peyton's was built on a couple of things. You guys were around it. I don't get too far into the weeds. He performed, and then they also knew that his level of preparation his level of preparation was unassailable. Uh, and that's where he really separated himself, where you could not question him because he knew more about what was going on that week than you did if you were the offensive lineman, right? I don't think Lawrence is quite there because I think it took Peyton to be into year 11 or 12 before he had that just implicitly. But he's the guy, and he has all the tools to get to that point, maybe leading a different way. But and I hope I wasn't, like, too football 101 there, but I think that's sort of the difference. I think I think Trevor's still sort of getting there on that regard, which is to be expected. He's in his third year. So in terms of, you know, a locker room itself and the overall temperate of the locker room of the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you are Shane Steichen and you are reviewing Jacksonville and you're getting set for this game, the area of the locker room for Jacksonville that is the most thin where you're Shane Steichen and you're saying, this is what we have to attack. If we're going to beat Jacksonville, we are going to do it by doing this. He's telling the Colts locker room what? Probably if you can get them blocked and, and go after the secondary, there's some unknowns there. They're a good run defense team. Uh, they're a good pass rushing team, but they don't get sacks if you follow it. They get pressure, but they had trouble getting home last year. Uh, Tyson Campbell, a cornerback, a, a is a really good player. Uh, the rest of the secondary, I would say, is a little more questionable than the rest. So I think it's like a lot of teams. If you can get them blocked in this league and uh, get guys running open, then then you've got a shot. So that's going to be the, the huge question on the Jags is can they get the quarterback down a year after they got good pressure but didn't get him down enough, and that sort of bit him in the end against Kansas City. John, when you look at this being Anthony Richardson's first start in the NFL, where will he be tested the most by Jacksonville defensively? Well, uh, the Jaguars' outside linebackers, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, both top 10 picks. Uh, Allen probably hasn't quite lived up to number seven overall, but he's still probably their best defensive player. Uh, Trayvon Walker, number one overall. Uh, it, they're very athletic, and you would think that they would be able to combat Richardson's mobility. At the same time, to me, Richardson's one of these guys. You can combat that, ability, that, that mobility all you want. He's big, strong, fast. He's probably going to make a couple off-schedule plays that can keep the Colts in games, even when he's confused, which I would think as a rookie quarterback at some point he's going to be confused. So I think that's where the Jaguars are hoping that their athleticism, uh, their very good uh, linebacker core in terms of stopping the run, in terms of running and chasing, you would think that that would be an advantage against the Colts because I'm assuming that they're going to depend a lot on uh, Richardson's legs. And then switching to the Jaguars from an offensive standpoint, I know you mentioned how excited they are to have Calvin Ridley with his first start as a Jacksonville Jaguar, but a year ago we talked about the signing of Christian Kirk and you know a lot of people nationally, I was on this boat for a little while as well, questioned the amount of money they gave to him, but 
you realized it was a weapon and a valuable target for a quarterback that was hoping to have a bounce back year. How does Christian Kirk's role or maybe the volume of targets that he saw a year ago change with the the addition of Ridley? I know they do two different things on the field, but how will their offense change because of that? I'm thinking that it's going to help Christian in this sense. Uh, He he will be in the, in the slot more. Uh, That's where he's the best with this offense, probably a little bit like the Colts. uh, uh, There's not really any true, like in the old days, Marvin lined up in one spot and he knew, and he never moved off that spot. Peterson moves the skill players all around. So they're all around, but primarily Kirk in the slot is really where he excels. And I think it's going to clarify his role. He had, uh, I think it was 84 for 1108, eight touchdowns last year. I'd be surprised if he's not somewhere around that because I think, I think the offense is going to be so much better. Uh, I, I would be a little surprised if both Ridley and Kirk uh, don't go over 1,000 with close to 10. I, I'm bad at predicting numbers, but I think they're both going to have big years. The thing to really watch with this team that I think a lot of people don't expect, the running game with uh, Travis Etienne and the rookie Tank Bigsby. Uh, the Jaguars believe they're going to be a significantly better running team than they were last year. Now, what the numbers will be, uh, who knows. But they think they're going to be effective running the ball, and if they are, the offense is going to be really good. Okay, last question, John, and I certainly understand John Osher, since you're with Jaguars.com, you know, if you don't want to dive too deep, I get it. But I am fascinated by this, and I know we're going back a little bit historically as opposed to the right now. But when I watched Urban Meyer's teams at Ohio State, I was always so fascinated by how they just didn't make mistakes. They were so well-disciplined. And then, you know, I know that part of why he decided to go into the NFL is because he was intrigued by having Lawrence and what they could do and blossom it together. And that was just an absolute disaster. What the hell happened? Uh, My personal opinion, just not an NFL coach. Uh, There's ways you can handle – college players that it's very tough to handle grown men um so the motivation that worked and i i was not around i covered florida at one point it was not when urban meyer was there but my understanding from talking to different people who were around urban uh when your primary motivation is playing time and you know uh motivating the way you motivate college kids is different than what you do in the NFL. And the NFL, as you guys know, if, if you've been around a college program and been around an NFL program, they're two different games. And I think he's a great college coach, and, and the NFL just wasn't a match. And probably it probably wasn't the right time in his life to be an NFL head coach to be making that transition with so much success. So uh, that's sort of it in a nutshell. It was a weird year that I could probably go on about for hours, but that's probably it in a nutshell. <laughs> I think I think you should do an hours long podcast. Weird year from the first coast with John Osher. John, appreciate it as always. Um, safe travels up here, and we look forward to talking to you over the course of the season as well. Guys, I always enjoy it. All right, John Osher again, Jaguars dot com on the hotline when we come back we'll get you up to speed a little bit on the injury report for the colts a couple of key names that we're keeping an eye on we'll let you know who that is and also what position they continue to kind of hold auditions all of that on the other side here it is querying company 93.5175 the fan life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We'll go back to the college game, talk to Rob Blackman from Purdue Radio Network coming up at 1.30. Mike Chapel, 2 o'clock today. In terms of the Colts, a couple items of note, one of them, and we'll get more into this in the 1 o'clock hour, but they are still kind of taking overtures. I guess you always do this, but at the running back position, James Robinson, one of them that they uh, apparently have talked to. You know, my thought on that is this, and probably contradicting myself to an extent here, but in terms of the Jonathan Taylor saga, or Twiggy, I've never been more proud of myself about something in my life (laughs) than I am the fact that I saw someone on social media refer to him as Twiggy, right? So in terms of the Twiggy saga, and for those unfamiliar, that's the nickname that we're now using for the man who, uh, the running back that is on the physically unable to perform list just because... I, I assume people get exhausted by hearing the same name all the time. So eventually you get tired of hearing Twiggy, which is a shame for the squirrel. Yeah. But nonetheless... We might get um, a season to assist on that, in fact. That's right. That's right. Um, but in terms of the, the Twiggy saga, I get it in term, it, from the Colts' standpoint of this is a position that does not necessitate us paying 16, 14, whatever it might be, a million a year because it's a relatively fungible position and you can plug and play. But... It's kind of hard to make that argument and stand by it when five days before the opening game of the season, you're still auditioning and talking to people to try to find an answer. Maybe it's not as easy a position as we thought to fill because it's hard to sit there and say like, look, you guys are a dime a dozen. You're a dime a dozen. Well, if you're a dime a dozen, then why don't you have five of them ready to go? And why are you still going through garage sales to try to find one? But nonetheless, we'll see what happens at the running back position. Part of that just comes down to the fact that they don't know, Jimmy, at this point, whether or not the guy that seemingly was ready to take the handoffs, whether his arm's ready to go, right? Yeah. And for all that is made of of where this running back room is going to be, I guess on the one hand, it's like, well, if you don't have John on the table and you didn't do what I would have done, which is at the front of this saga, when everything was really falling apart, if you were really worried about your rookie quarterback and you cared so much about the running game, this wouldn't necessarily be dime a dozen, but it would have been more efficient than trying to scrap through the bottom of the barrel at this point. Go get Dalvin Cook. Go get Ezekiel Elliott on a one-year deal. Right. Just pay the premium for a year for what it is. And who knows what? Eddie, I don't have it in front of me. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Was it 8 $9 million Dalvin Cook got somewhere in that range from the Jets? I have to look. I mean, I, I mean, maybe there was. I thought it was like five and a half, but I could be wrong there. I think it was five and a half, like guaranteed, and I think he can earn up to eight. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if you needed to sweeten the pot because you're the Colts and are not a contender, and the Jets are the Jets and are looking like you know the team that's going to be in the conversation in the, the season, spend the money and do it then. They didn't do that, and to your point, like the dime a dozen argument is made because you can find value in the NFL draft when you're seeking to address it, and. I'm not going to you know, put to bed a rookie in Evan Hole because he needs an opportunity to prove himself, but he's a fifth-round selection. I'd be looking more for a somewhere between third or fourth-round pick as a you know running back that would be a plug-in and start-right-away kind of guy versus asking Evan Hole to do that out of the gate, which they're not. That's why they're going by committee. Uh, Zach Moss, by the way, in terms of that broken arm, Shane Steichen saying um, 
you know, still trending in the right direction, but they're hopeful that he is going to be able to go. In terms of another guy that there's been a lot of talk about that is trending in the right direction for seemingly the 161st straight week, um, got some got an interesting tidbit on the health of Shaq Leonard, and we'll tell you that next. An hour into this show on a Tuesday, again, feels like a Monday. How are you? Thanks for joining us on September the 5th. By the way, happy birthday to uh, Jenny Coulter. Jenny Goldhammer Coulter, who I grew up with. Um, big one for her today. Big birthday. So happy birthday to her. I always remember that because it's two days after mine and then two days before Tiffany Lehman. And there's a whole run. Are you guys like me in the fact that like half your friends were born in September? No. Was that, on, was that an early 70s thing? I was born in September. Well, when's your birthday? 24th. Well, happy birthday in uh, three weeks after mine, right? Yeah. Okay. What are you doing for your birthday? Uh, I don't know. I don't know yet. Look at you two, nearly bookending the month. <laughs> That's right. When's your birthday, Jimmy? January 1st. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. That sucks, man. <laughs> I love it. Do you really? Yeah. The only part that sucks about it is, and it doesn't you matter now that I've grown so. older. I do, yes, but pause. Let me let me deliver the line, please. Um, the uh, present thing, right? Like as a kid, kind of stunk because you'd have your whole wave of presents. That was it. It wasn't spaced out during the year. But uh, I like to imagine, yes, the ego's that big. The whole world just counting down on my birthday on December 31st. I mean, 31st. that's true, but, like the, but then... That's it, right? I mean, what do you mean that's it? We get to count down, pop some champagne. But like, yeah, but I mean, January second happens. You're like, what do you have to look forward to for the rest of the year? Bowl games. <laughs> Most of those are done Fourth by July. January second, right? I mean, yeah. Look, like it, it is the complex of would you rather knock it all out in one wave or would you rather have it? Be I mean, spread the reality out? is that you've never known any different, right? Correct. So, sure, I, and I get it. But I guess it'd be easy to remember your birthday for sure. Yeah. Know? Um. So when in terms of Shaq Leonard, of course, in the concussion protocol, and you know we've talked so much about the other drama with the Colts that we have not talked much about a guy that, from a defensive standpoint, is clearly kind of the the engine that everything runs off of. There was some thought that perhaps he would come off the protocol and be ready to go for this weekend, uh, but Eddie, when you and I give you huge credit here reached out to try to see if Shaq Leonard himself, if we could get it straight from the horse's mouth, you were told what? Uh, I was told that right now he's still in the protocol. So as of right now, uh, we aren't able to have him on the show. So if he is, that means that he is, um, you know, you would think maybe they might have said, uh, maybe I'm reading into it. Hey, you know, we'll ch- check back in a couple of days or something like that. But I also get it. I mean, when it comes to the concussion protocol, they're going to be as careful as possible. Um and it's too bad because he he obviously, I thought was starting to show in the preseason that he was going to be able to get back kind of to the level of what we have expected of him and from him, um, and may still I I'm not you know for week one I mean I'm not saying he's out right but uh, certainly Jimmy at this point on a Tuesday if he is still in the in the protocol you would have to start kind of looking at, okay, let's see what, you know, it's going to be a game where Zaire Franklin's going to be big and EJ Speed, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's a rigorous process, rightfully so, because the NFL has finally over the last five, seven years emphasized player safety in that regard, so it's a rigorous process to get yourself out of it. I will say the initial thought, and I'm sure frustration from Colts fans because of the lack of playing time due to injury from Shaq Leonard is to be like, oh, here we go again. This feels different to me just because of the nature of what the injury is. Like, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's not a long history of concussions with Shaq Leonard, is there? Like, this is not something where we're in Tua territory of... I think 
I think that's correct. So I, I feel like he's had once before, maybe. Am I wrong in that? But yes, I mean to your point. Not yeah, he did. Not, this he did last year. He's, he had the 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 nose injury last year in his the only game that he played in, or, or the game right. he had the pick because he had a concussion and I think broken nose or something. I'm I'm not in the territory though where like. I'm willing to stack this with the rest of the injuries and say, okay, we're doomed now. This is what right. it is for Shaq Leonard's career is how he couldn't stay healthy. If it's another like lower extremity injury that happens this season, that's a different well, conversation. But for now, it's just frustrating. But I will say, though, I, and I totally get it, Shaq Leonard doesn't appear to me be a, to be a guy that is wired this way. And by that, I mean I think he's a, an ultra competitor. But and I would certainly understand it. I have no reason to believe this is the case. I've had no insinuation, no hint, no no inner nothing. But if it got to the point where Shaq Leonard was dealing with the concussion protocol for an extended period of time for the second straight season, yeah, I, that is one area that I think guys, it is a wake-up call for guys where they're like, look, I'm not going to – I just think you see too many guys that late in their – you know, later in the years, I mean, we know about the CTE and everything else. I mean, if – if it starts to make a guy look at his own career mortality, I understand it. I would I, I would never blame a player. No, I wouldn't for that, either. You know, um, it's a tough conversation to have if it, it ever is. gets to that point. It, and especially when you know you got to think to yourself. I mean, with just the money in general, right? Like, man, if I can just go back for one more year, I'll make another five million. You know, I mean, I get it, totally get it. But at the same time, you know, one never knows. And and, and of course, the hard thing with concussion is one never knows. I mean, if somebody in terms of the protocol itself, you know, what what exactly does all of that, um, how does that all weigh in? I, you know, I don't know all of the different things that they go through before the team neurologists give you clearance. It is his third concussion protocol, by the way, I'm told. Third for him. So, you know, it's a, it's a lengthy one for sure. No question about it. Um, I want to get back to you, by the way, real quick, because, Eddie, you had told me you had not, and I, I understand it. You've not seen the Goonies? No. Jimmy, you've seen the Goonies how many times? Probably once, maybe twice, and then the viral it's memed a lot or utilized on yeah, like yeah. for instance, the the uh you get to come home with me now when Chunk's talking to right, Sloth right. is used. Uh, I've seen it for fantasy football, those that wait to take a quarterback until like the thirteenth round and it's Kirk Cousins as the right Sloth. So th- th- by the way, uh, Sloth was played by an NFL character who, mind you, Actually, I think it was heart failure, but I thought maybe CTE was something as well. Um, you know, those guys in the the Lyle Alzado era. I mean, there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on back then. But um, so I was in Astoria on Saturday. So we got done, or I got done early at the racetrack on Saturday at the Portland International Raceway. I love the city of Portland is absolutely stunning. It's gorgeous. I totally understand, and I was curious of this as well. It had been I did not go the last two years. So I had not been there in three years. I did think that, you know, the homeless situation and some of the challenges that Portland, Oregon has been labeled towards in the last handful of years, I get it. I mean, I get why people are like, man, there's no way I'd go there. There's just homeless people everywhere and the drugs and everything else. And and that was absolutely jarring to an extent. Uh, the first few times that I went there, I thought this year it was far, far, far less uh, visible and ubiquitous than it was the last time that I had been there. For what that's worth, I think they have, they're, they're trying to do what they can with it, but I, I did not see it to the level that I had 
in years past. But the city is gorgeous. The geography is gorgeous. So Saturday, I uh, had time to kill and drove to Astoria with my buddy Mike Tobin, who I went to high school with and lives out there. And it's about two hours from Portland. And the Goonies house is the house where the kids live in the movie, right? And apparently, so I had said to Tobin, I go, hey, I'd, I'd really like to go see the Goonies house, mostly just because Astoria is is a gorgeous, it's like Cape Cod, or, you know, I mean, it's a historic tourist beach town, sure. right? So he says, well, you know, you can't see the house. They've got it like blocked off now and they got tired of people coming up and taking photos. And, and I mean, I get it. That would get really old. And I said, okay, well, and he goes, but Astoria itself is awesome. So you need to see Astoria just to see the Oregon coast. And I said, okay, well, let's go. So we go. And as we're driving, I'm looking up the address exactly of the house. And I go, well, it says here that it's been bought by it, the house was sold. And the the no fun guy that lived there before sold it, and now somebody bought it that's like a diehard fan of the Goonies. Now I will admit this is a bit odd, okay, that you would do this. But so the new the person that bought the home now, now how much would you like living next door to this house? It's now owned by some a private residence, but by some Uber Goonies fan, and they have like a Goonies pirate flag flying from it, and they have the sign <laughs> in the front yard that like the Goonies, as if like the Goonies live there still, right? And then. So the street is when you the it, the street is the, the house is on a kind of a cliff of a street so the street goes uphill and at the bottom of so you pull up and you're like well I think this is the street and there's a huge sign that says hey you guys and it's got sloth on it and then it has the directions to the house and tells you and then it says like please don't do the following in respect to the neighbors or whatever and there were Jimmy I kid you not. There had to have been 50 people milling around, taking photos, videos, whatever else. Everybody's taking selfies. And this is a normal resident street. So I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine living next door? Which is where Data lived, by the way. But can you imagine like living in one of the houses next door? So we see the house, and I'm like, okay, it's cool. And then the whole town of the story is not huge. So we mill around there, and you can see the different landmarks of the movie. Some of the movie was shot in California as well. But it was cool. But I'm telling you, the... To go to the coast there, first off, what you don't realize is the vast majority of the water that you're seeing is actually the Columbia River. So it's the mouth of the Columbia River. So a story is where the Columbia River empties into the Pacific Ocean. And the vast majority of the water that you see from the town itself is actually the river, but it's massive. And it's kind of hard to tell where the river is blending into the ocean. But then we went all the way down to a place called Disappointment Point, and or disappointment bay and and you, know, you gotta Ryan go there? over <laughs> actually i saw the cliff that his career fell off that's nice so yes Good. that's exactly right um carson wentz was hanging out there too yeah. but it was as stunning and serene a geography as you could see and you just think to yourself there are so many gorgeous parts of this country i mean i and i've been fortunate to have been to a lot of them but the Oregon coast, if you talk to people from Oregon, they'll throw you down a flight of stairs about the Oregon coast. And then when you go and you see it, you go, okay, I get it. Totally get it. And I understand why people would want to live there. It was breathtaking. But we were coming back and you know, the, the, we flew commercial and the vast majority of people on the plane were from IndyCar. So we laid over in San Francisco. 
So we're hanging out in the San Francisco airport, and it was myself, two of the guys from the AMR safety team, uh, Alex Wolf, Michael Young, Ed Carpenter was there. And I went and bought, because I'm a nice guy, right? And we're, so we're hanging out, and we're, we're killing time, and we had like a two-hour layover in the San Francisco airport. And I went to go get something to eat, and the only place that was open uh, sold chips. And the chips were, um, I, I don't know if they were from, uh, they're somewhere in Asia, and they, they were called um, shrimp chips. And I thought, well, how much fun is this? Chips made out of shrimp, right? I mean, that doesn't That's that sound one delicious? Yeah, right. yeah. And and wasabi flavor at that, right? Oh, Steve Wittich was with us as well, so who's a producer for NBC. So I bought a bag of the shrimp chips, and I'm going around offering to everybody, and you know everybody's taking them. And and you'd have to try these. I mean, all you know what, Eddie? You wanted me to bring you something back from Portland. I'm going. So when we go to Monterey this weekend for IndyCar for the finale, I've got to fly through San Francisco again. Okay. I'll get you a bag of the shrimp chips because we go. we're going to be at the same gate, yeah. same flight. You're, I'll, abs- I'll, you're absolutely positive this was not a, a Lay's surprise flavor type well, deal. Well, like now they, like excellent they do. question, Jimmy. They tasted uh, eerily similar to Funyuns, right? Okay. But they were wasabi flavor. But they said shrimp chips. So I, I went ahead and I'm handing them out to everybody and nobody wants to admit they like them now i think ed carpenter deep down kind of liked them i think if if you if you ask ed carpenter did you like the shrimp chips i think he would say to you you know they actually were pretty good so we were eating them and then it got to the point where i still had half a bag left now i'm I'm stopping people that are passing by excuse me would you like to try shrimp chips and a couple of people i think wanted to get a restraining order on me and and then finally one gal and they were from indianapolis one gal stops and says well i'll try them so she tries them, has a handful of them, and it says, those are pretty good. I'll take a second handful. So I end up giving her the bag, and then guess what she does? She Kept goes, it. you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I think I'm going to throw the rest of these away. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't know that you – wouldn't you – are they hers now to throw away, or would she should get – like, how does this work? I mean, I said to her at one point, I said, did you also adopt a dog during COVID <laughs> and then try to take it back once you had to go back to work? I mean, what are we doing here, right? I would have assumed – you were not just tossing who has, individual who has bags. Ownership it was rights. your bag. Yes, it, you were I, just letting people take out of the bag. I was pouring into people's hands, so right. no one was putting you their hands in. You didn't buy forty shrimp chip yeah, bags. So, and were throwing so them out. I like say Oprah. to her, "I go here. Would you like them?" So she eats them and goes, "Oh, these are wonderful." And I said, "Well, here. Would you like the bag?" So I hand her the bag. I watch her take a second handful, and then she looks at me and says, "I'm not going to lie to you. I think I'm done with these. I'm going to throw them away." Well, that's a, that's a terrible insult. I would have instead changed that last part of the sentence to, "Would you like these back?" <laughs> because because it was a transfer for her to finish the bag, you would think. Either throw them away quietly or say, hey, I don't want these anymore. Do you I, want them back? I, here's the thing. I was elated that she partook in my game. Sure. Right? I was elated that she was... Um, not totally repulsed by me. Is that how you feel when we also participate in the games here? Is that <laughs> well, a shared what you're doing experience? right now, right? <laughs> however, however, I felt like there was an obligation to play along with the game sure. and and at the very least put them in her backpack yes, or her purse, I right? Agree. Or at least not tell you that, hey, I'm going to throw these away. Eddie, when I come back, when I come back, I'm bringing you a bag of the because you, you didn't you say to me bring me something from Portland that yeah. you can only get in Portland yeah right and the only thing that I could find like that were THC laced peanut butter cups <laughs> and I can't bring those back through the airport for you so as a result uh, I I dropped the ball there but from Monterey would you like anything or do you just I'll want take those? shrimp chips yeah <laughs> I'll try all right those shrimp wasabi chips. flavored shrimp chips coming back I'm telling you.
I'll, I'll, I'll bring them back for you guys, and you'll love every minute of it, right? I'll try them. All right. I, I won't say I'll love them, but I'll try them. Was this the brand? Like, I know oh, this oh, is bad uh, for is this, was this the brand? That of, is it. That's okay. it. So, good news, Eddie. I can also bring you some from Keystone Avenue's Meyer if you'd like as well. No, there's is, no way. This is uh, no. Trip Chips Baked Wheat Puff Snacks, original flavor. No no wasabi flavor. So, I can't get you that special version. Yeah, the wasabi. I can get you this one. No, wait, this see, is not wasabi. This no, is no, just no. the original. I mean, granted, you can go. Have you guys been to the um, international grocery store? There's one on 38th and then one in Castleton at the old Target. Ah, it's unbelievable. You go in there, it's uh, it's unreal. I mean, it really is fabulous. They have food from all over the world. Like you go down to different aisles, it's like going down a different continent. Literally, like you you're, you're walking down the aisle and you're and you're looking at and you're buying nothing but stuff that's from uh, Ecuador and like Colombia and it's got it. Set. I and got zoned you, in on the trip. You turn the corner this? and there's like two penguins in an aisle. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, I just crossed over into Antarctica. Where's this? Um, oh, there's one. What is it? I'm sorry. No, I was. Caught up in the shrimp chips. I'm, I'm going to screw up the name. Flavors. I was going to say, at, at Jungle Gyms, they have that similar vibe. Similar. It's a very similar. This, I've never been to Jungle Gyms, but people tell me it's similar. Wasabi uh, original and hot garlic, by the way, are your flavors of shrimp do, do chips. Do they have? No, wait, these are available where? Well, the original is available, apparently, at the Meyer at Keystone Avenue. Now, see, Aisle B, 22. <laughs> wow. You've got it. Now, somebody needs to tell Ed Carpenter that, because I think deep down, uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Saraga or Saraga International Grocery, S-A-R-A-G-A. That's the international grocery okay. here in town, and it's wonderful. But somebody needs to tell Ed Carpenter that you can get these chips on Meyer because I think deep down, and I could see it. I could see an Ed Carpenter. He wanted to be nice to everybody, but I could tell deep down he was like, I would really love to ask for more of those wasabi chips. And the gal, too. The gal, she was being folksy, but then she ran out of them, and I felt like, to be honest with you. I think he didn't want to hog all of the wasabi chips. Feel like he felt like he would be intruding on the game if he was well, to take I think, them all. I think also then you have to think about yourself. You're like, I'm eating all this wasabi and I'm getting ready to get on an airplane. Yeah. So then you got to think about other people as well. And then we get on the plane and it's a red eye and there's one drunk guy. There's always one drunk guy, right? And this drunk guy is he sits down right behind me and he immediately starts talking to the lady and he's slurring and he smells like, uh, you know, a bad like a like a a frat house. And he's talking to the lady next to me, and he's talking really loud. And it's eleven o'clock at night, Pacific time, so it's two a.m. here, and we got a four-hour flight. And he's talking, and I'm just thinking to myself, this poor woman. And then he he says, and I quote, uh, "I I'd probably just use the bathroom before we take off." So he gets up to use the bathroom, and then in the interim, finds out he's on the wrong seat. So we got a reprieve, and he ended mm-hmm. up a couple of seats over, and then disappeared for like thirty minutes. I don't know where he went, and then he. Basically fell asleep once we Sound like he needed some wasabi chips before he, <laughs> he did. Got on. I'm telling you, he needed the wasabi chips indeed. Um, so the matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, you know, we've talked so much about the running back position and Anthony Richardson. I, Jimmy, in the areas that we have not talked a lot about for the Colts, what, if any, is your area of concern or intrigue the most coming up here when the season kicks off? Who is going to help assist in the development of Anthony Richardson when you can't count on the running back room? And so you're having to rely on a revolving door of tight ends in the same way that the running back room is going to be done by committee. There's not a set tight end number one, at least at this point, going into week one. And then on the specific at wide receiver, there's no more excuses now. I get it. The accuracy issues are going to be there. So I suppose if Anthony Richardson, you know, totally just drop the ball and you're talking about like a 45% accuracy day and it's clearly his fault and not the receiver's fault maybe there's one more built-in excuse for this wide receiver room but outside of that I need a step forward from Alec Pierce this year 
I need Michael Pittman Jr. to prove that he is not just a high-end wide receiver too, but is capable of being a top weapon within this offense. Outside of that, it's not fair to ask Josh Downs to be an immediate wide receiver two level talent. You rarely see that happen from rookie wide receivers in the National Football League. Look no further than what happened with Alec Pierce a year ago. And I know that there's always going to be tendencies for me to inject my Chiefs into conversations, but this one is legit. Colts fans and, and friends of mine that are Colts fans that wanted a wide receiver taken a year ago, the conversation was, hey, that Sky Moore seems like a pretty talented wide receiver. Maybe the Colts should draft him. They took Alec Pierce instead. I'm not saying the jury's out on that conversation, but going into year two for both these receivers, and yes, Patrick Mahomes helps that conversation, but there's much more regret in my mind of what would Sky Moore look in Indianapolis versus what would Alec Pierce look in Kansas City. So I need Alec Pierce to put that to rest. I need a step forward from him in his second season. But I think, Jimmy, if you look at the receiving position. Sure. As a whole or for the team? Like nationally or specifically for the Colts? No, as just in general, generically speaking, sure. the wide receiver at the NFL. I do think that it is the position. I mean, quarter, we're going to take quarterback out of the equation. Receiver, I think, is the position that does typically have the the longest acclimation period. Yes. If you were to look at game-changing wide receivers in the NFL over the last 30 years, very few of them came out on Christmas morning and were immediately a toy that was already assembled. I mean, Randy Moss did, right? Randy Moss, like, I think it was Rick Venturi told me the story about Dennis Green was the, Denny Green was the head coach of Minnesota and Rick was coaching. Uh, I'm not sure where he would have been at that time. Maybe New Orleans, but they had like an organized scrimmage against the Vikings, Randy Moss's rookie year. And Denny Green says to Venturi, he goes, wait till you see this guy. Like, I, I mean, Jamar Chase did two years this. ago. Jamar Chase is another it's one. It's a right? very short list. Correct. So, it, it it does require an acclimation period. You know, Reggie Wayne as a rookie was not a great. I mean, there. I remember, I remember vividly there being like, I don't mean inside the building. I mean like amongst fans, like whispers of you know, is, was this guy a bust? Should they have drafted this guy out of Miami? I mean, you know, he's he's not the fastest guy, and then he turns out to be, you know, one of the best receivers in franchise history. So I, I do think that Alec Pierce last year showed flashes, but to your point. Those flashes now got to become reality. Yes. Right? And but but what's scary to me, Jimmy, is this. Let's say Alec Pierce does do that. Let's say Alec Pierce takes the next step, is able to catch difficult balls in traffic, is able to get separation and becomes a great player, okay? And Michael Pittman, you know, is a big target that is a reliable receiver that Anthony Richardson might be able to use as a safety net across the middle. Then what? Josh Downs, if he's Paris Campbell, uh, okay. Then what? After that, what? Where? I mean, where do you go? You know, I watched last night, probably a bad comparison, but I'm watching the Clemson game. Will Shipley's a wonderful offensive player for Clemson, but you can only go to him so many times before it's you become pretty predictable. And my fear for the Colts is that if Michael Pittman's your best weapon – you can only go to it so many times, right? Yeah. I mean, which tight end are you going to, and how often are you going there? 
the answer to where do you go does not have a pleasant answer for the 2023 campaign. The the wide receiver one of the Anthony Richardson era, let's assume this works out and this is a he is the next great Colts quarterback. The wide receiver one is not currently on the Colts roster. That's not a that's not a, a outlandish like on a cliff statement to make. It's pretty evident. Even if they pay Michael Pittman Jr. next year and they pay him premium wide receiver one money, it would be because they value him as a threat not necessarily as a Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase level. That weapon's not here right now. What frustrates me is this. When talking about why or insinuating the reason why the Colts have not offered a running back extension to Jonathan Taylor, Chris Ballard's answer was, we won four games last year. Okay. But now you are trying to completely turn the page and hand the keys over to a franchise quarterback who you are hoping is going to be your guy for the next 10 to 12 years, but you're doing so with a roster around him that by your own admission only won four games last year, wasn't a very good team, and what changes did you make? What changes did you make? You've done nothing in terms of the weapons around him. The best weapon around him you've got on the physically unable to perform list without being re-signed to an extension. Again, I'm not saying I totally disagree with that that decision, but you can't sit here and tell me that last year's roster was a disappointment to you and then on the other hand tell me that you've done nothing to upgrade it except for hand the keys over to a guy that needs upgrading around him. I don't get it. I don't either. It's misplaced faith in the people that are already in the building. Uh, Rob Blackman is next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Now we have a list of questions that we are to ask Rob Blackman. Jimmy, did you did you take notes? Clearly not. But I was never good at that okay. in general. Well, I've, I've got my whole list here. Did we get a hold of Rob, Eddie? Rob Blackman, of course, of the Purdue Sports Radio Network and the radio play-by-play voice of the Purdue basketball program joining us now after the Boilermakers' disappointing 39-35 loss to Fresno State. Again, I'm going to go back to, and I'm not trying to be an apologist here, I don't know that it's as egregious as – you know, Fresno State's a pretty darn good program, but I don't know how good they were thought to be this year. Three-and-a-half-point game going in means that essentially it was a toss-up game. Uh, Rob, we'll begin with this. From a from the negatives standpoint, the area that Purdue where they kind of left that one out there would be what? Third down conversions or lack thereof offensively, and short yardage offense or lack thereof. And by the way, Jake, I know you've forgotten this, but you and I do share a birthday, so happy belated birthday to you and me on Sunday, partner. I, you know what? I had forgotten that your birthday is September 3rd. Happy birthday. <laughs> What'd you do to celebrate? Anything? 
uh, just kind of sat around and felt sorry for myself because Purdue lost a football game the day before. <laughs> and you know what, Rob? The reality is this, and I'm not trying to spill the beans on your age, but I know that you're in the same bracket as I. Um, you have already had your 50th, correct? Correct. I'm 53 now. Yeah. Yep. So, one, so once you turn 50, I, you might get a little blip at 60 and then like 75 people care, and outside of that, no one cares, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Even my own family. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's like, you know, you're 51. Yeah, great. You know, that was a year ago we had that party. That was fun. You're like, yeah, okay. Um, exactly. Did, did Purdue get too conservative offensive? And by the way, happy birthday, Rob. Um, did, did Purdue get too offensively conservative? Uh, I don't think too conservative. I do think maybe a little bit too stubborn, <laughs> especially in, in short yardage situations. Uh, not only late in the game, but all, quite, quite frankly, I thought Purdue got a little bit more, little bit more liberal offensively late in the game. Um, but just the inability to to push the pile and, and to move the line of scrimmage was was really disappointing. And that's you know that's not just me. That's Coach Ryan Walters talked about that in his press conference yesterday. At, and, and he gave the specific number. I don't remember the number, but it was you know six or eight plays from the line of scrimmage where it was two yards or less to gain, and Purdue didn't get didn't get the two yards ever in any of those situations. So uh, the, the, to me, it wasn't as much conservative play calling as it was uh, just you know. And look, I understand this is a young staff, a lot of young coaches, and, and stubbornness probably will be a, a part of the learning curve. Uh, but uh, when it became painfully obvious that unfortunately you were not going to be able to win the win the battle of the line of scrimmage offensively, uh, maybe maybe should have thought of something else, uh, at least a little bit more creative uh, in those situations on offense. But um, look, all in all, I think there are a lot of things to like about that game. I thought Hudson Card was as good as advertised. I thought the wide receivers were better than advertised, and um and defensively i thought the front seven was really good now the back half wasn't great again ryan walters talked about that that he, he really liked what he saw from the front seven especially pressuring quarterback the problem was on the back end covering guys or covering them as he said long enough you're not not covering them long enough um so i guess probably what we all expected in the in the first game some good some bad some ugly and and, and so it is Rob, you kind of walked into my question about Hudson Card. 17 of 30, 254, two touchdowns, no picks in his debut with Purdue. They put up 35 in the loss. I know that traditionally and the mindset with Ryan Walters is obviously getting things cleaned up on the defensive end, but do you expect this level of explosiveness on offense for them this year? You know, considering the quarterback and considering the guy who's calling the plays and Graham Harrell, I don't think it's that far out of the realm of possibility that, yeah, this could be kind of what you see on a game-in, game-out basis. Now, when you get in the Big Ten, obviously those defenses get a little bit more <laughs> a little bit more stiff, if you will, uh, a little bit more challenging. But I do really like the, the group that Purdue has offensively from a skill position set. Again, I think they're still trying to find some answers up front. Now, to be fair to that offensive line, they're also without Gus Hartwig and Josh Kaltenberger, who are your top two centers, so Purdue's playing with their third-string center. Uh, but from a skill position standpoint, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of explosiveness. I, I think you even saw that with the Tyrone Tracy kickoff return for a touchdown. You know, he's a guy that he, – he's quite frankly the second or maybe third running back on your roster, yet, you know, he has the ability to, to, to take a kickoff 96 or whatever it was, 98 yards to the house. So, uh, yeah, I, I think skill position-wise, um, Purdue fans should expect kind of what they saw. Uh, on Saturday, 
just the, the great irony, and you guys know this. Heck, you might have already talked about it. The great irony is you, you bring in a head coach who was uh, the toast of the, of the country defensively last year. I mean, everyone wanted uh, Ryan Walters calling their defense because of how dominating Illinois was last year. I think they led the nation in, in points allowed. And I think they led the nation in yards allowed. I mean, the two most important statistics. Uh, so, so to think that you, that you gave up 39 points, uh, you know, with that, I guess I'd put it this way. If I would have told you guys or any Purdue fan before the game started, uh, look, you're going to score 35 points, you're not going to have a turnover, and, and you're going to get a special teams touchdown, you'd have said, oh, well, Purdue's winning that game, you know, 35-7 to 7 or 35-10, to 10, uh, something like that. But that, that wasn't the case. So... Uh, the great irony, the, the the guy who was the toast of the country as a defensive coordinator last year, uh, Purdue just wasn't very good uh, for him as a head coach uh, on defense Saturday. So hopefully Purdue can, can clean that part of their uh, game up. But, uh, uh, but yeah, as I said, kind of what we what, what did we expect in the first game? I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. And so, quite frankly, I wasn't really surprised at anything that I saw on Saturday because I didn't know what to think going in. Rob, somebody told me to ask you this. Pretty good question, though. Graham Harrell being on the sidelines as an O coordinator, typically we see guys up in the box. Uh, when I say the box, mm-hmm. I mean up in the press box, getting a, a full view of the field itself and then radioing down plays. Uh, it, that seems unusual to me. Obviously, new coaching staff, but um, A, how atypical is that? And B, is that going to be the plan game in, game out? Well, I do think that's the plan, and you're right. That's, that is not, uh, that's not typical, but um, I'm glad that question was brought up because that I think it was last week that question was actually brought up to Coach Walters in one of his press conferences, and he said they actually sat down as a staff and talked through all of that stuff, and you know, and talked about where would you prefer to be uh, field or press box with each of the coaches, and it was unanimous that Graham Harrell wanted to be on the field. So, you know, that, that obviously was something discussed, and that that they felt like that's where they want him to be. I don't see that changing. Um, again, especially when you score 35 points in your first game, that, that means something's probably working out okay. But yeah, that that was uh, that's a good question because Coach was asked that very question last week, and that, and that was his response, the one I just gave you there. So uh, you're right, it's different. I, I, I I'm trying to think of the last time Purdue had the offense coordinator down on the field. Uh, I don't really know. Now, granted, Jeff Brom did a lot of offensive coordinating behind the scenes <laughs> when he was at Purdue. Um, but, yeah, that, you're right. That, that's, that's, not, that's not typical. Did you feel bad that I didn't call to wish you a happy birthday, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, irony, I saw your tweet with uh, four or five different pictures of the number 51. Yeah, yeah. And I, I immediately knew exactly what that was for, obviously, again, because you and I share a birthday, and I know you're two years younger than I. So, <laughs> so But, no, I, I, I did appreciate that tweet. I thought that was very creative on your end. But I was not disappointed that you did not reach out to me. No, and to be fair, I didn't reach out to you either. So that I mean, I would be just as guilty. <laughs> well, I I cursed you for like forty eight hours to be honest with you. But uh, who's your who's your favorite number fifty three of all time? Oh God, fifty three. <laughs> uh, fifty three. I don't. Yeah, uh, I I don't have an answer. Couldn't give you a fifty three. I'm, lo- I'm looking at it right here. Ray Donaldson, Bill Romanowski. You don't want to go with Bill Romanowski, right? Nope. Uh, I do remember Ray playing for the Colts, but I if, but I could have never told you his number if you'd have asked me his number. So, yeah, no no fifty threes for me. I, wasn't basketball wise? Wasn't Kent Benson fifty three in the pros? 
But you're a Purdue guy, so you can't say that. But then he was sitting behind the the, the basket for a while because he was mad at Indiana. Hugh Douglas, it's not bad. There just aren't very many famous 53s in the world of sport, are there? See, here, here's, there's the best way of saying it, Rob. Um, I turned a lame year at 51, but the only thing more lame is 53. So I, at least I got <laughs> Hugh Green. <laughs> Hugh Green, I mean. Um, hey, Rob, Virginia Tech is up next for Purdue. I, look, by name and certainly by stature, big-time program, but they also – um, I think kind of trying to get things going there. They've been down a little bit. What do we know about Vatek at this point? Yeah, about all I can tell you is they beat Old Dominion in their season opener Saturday. That's about all I know. And they, in fact, they'll play inter-Sandman uh, when they take the field because, of course, they're famous for that. But I don't know. I've done uh, – hey, look, it was my birthday weekend. I wasn't going to do any extra work, man. I, I didn't I didn't go above <laughs> and beyond. I haven't even opened up a single – nugget on virginia tech yet so i'm i'm still celebrating my birthday daryl dawkins uh, daryl dawkins was 53 that's pretty cool i'd oh, go with that that's a good one yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good one yeah i'd go with that chocolate thunder man he was awesome 53 sucks dude <laughs> <laughs> just, i mean there, there aren't any good sports numbers for 53 it's kind of like you said it's that in between age when no one really cares correct so, yeah, no you're right sucks now, man, getting older, making me both, both of you making me feel very excited about the prospect of that. How about place. this? How about this, Rob? You're 53. Daryl Dawkins was number 53. Daryl Dawkins in our respective, obviously, same time frame childhoods. There were three players that were always mentioned as at the time being total anomalies of going straight from high school to the pros collegiately. Daryl Dawkins is one. Who are the other two? Uh, Moses Malone. That is correct. And uh, you're going to stump me on the third. Well, it's probably be really, really obvious, and I'll be mad at myself for not knowing it. No, as a matter of fact, I think this guy is probably only remembered for being like the anomaly statistic with the other two, because I think this guy was technically the first. Bill Willoughby, do you remember that name at all? Oh, I would have no. I would have never got he, that. He, I think it was the same year as Malone when he entered, and so the big thing was. So he was basically he was the Ryan Leaf to Moses Malone's Peyton Manning. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. He, that 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 name, Bill Willoughby, sounds like someone I should be listening to on Yacht Yacht Rock Radio. <laughs> that. that does not sound like he a does a laugh. he does a mean Christopher Cross cover. I got to tell you that that Bill. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Bill, Bill Willoughby. Yeah. He's. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he's still sailing with us. As a matter of fact, uh, Daryl Dawkins is not. Yeah. Bill Willoughby is. Anything you want to add there, Jimmy? Yeah, Rob, have you been inspired at all next year for 54 to put together a collage of your favorite 54s? Maybe dive a little deeper into that? No, I've, uh, <laughs> I'm struggling so much right now with 53. I don't, I'm too scared to even look ahead to September 3rd of next Hell, year. Hell, you got 363 days to figure it out, Rob. You can do a Google search between <laughs> now and then. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I'll I'll be ready next year when we have this. Exactly. Yes. Hey, Rob. Uh, to to go back to uh, Saturday though, and just whenever you have a, a new coach, you know there are always question marks, right? So I guess my my question for you would be this: What was the thing that was making you most nervous, or that you were the most curious about? That was settled for you on Saturday was there an area that you had the biggest question mark for and then by as the game went on you thought okay I can exhale that is one area of this football program that I feel pretty good about yeah good question uh, because the one area of concern I had 
uh, for Ryan Walters. Uh, the X's and O's part, I have no concern about at all. I think he's proven himself as a coordinator, certainly defensively. But the fact that he's only 37 years old and the fact that he has put together a very young staff whom we're all working together for the first time, I was really nervous about the, I don't even know if the right word is cohesiveness, um, but how things were going to work on the sidelines um, from a coaching staff standpoint. Was it going to be just complete chaos because everyone's young and this is really their first crack at this in a lot of ways? Uh, or would it be kind of neat and tidy and organized and, and all of them, you know, actually, at least from my vantage point, now granted I'm seeing it from the press box, but did it, did it look like they all had a general idea what the heck they were doing? And I was able to exhale about that part. I did really feel like Ryan Walters was in charge. You knew he was the boss. There was no, um, I don't even know what the right word is here, but I'll say craziness going on with the sidelines with coaches losing their minds or not getting the substitutions right and that kind of stuff. I think Purdue had, had one had to take one timeout, in, and it was in the second half where they didn't get the substitution patterns right, and I think they had 12 on the field. That's prob- that's actually really good for a first-time staff with a first-time head coach. Um, that, that had me the most concerned. And now looking back at it, again, they look like a seasoned group of coaches who actually knew what the heck they were doing. So uh, that put my mind at ease on that. Again, X's and O's wise, I actually think Purdue has a really, really talented staff who really actually does know what the heck's going on. Um, but first time working together, like I said, how, you know, how's that all going to work? Uh, that 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 was one of those things I was able to exhale and say, yep, okay, this looks fine. This group's going to be okay. Rob Blackman of the Purdue Radio Network, nice enough to join us here on Query and Company. Rob, you already mentioned Hudson Carr, but eight newcomers featured in the season opener, eight started, in fact, in the season opener for each side of the ball. What'd you make of the newcomers? Uh, I, I I think the defensive secondary. Um, outside of Thieneman, uh, you know, Thieneman, I, you guys may have seen this just a couple hours ago, named the Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Um, outside of Thieneman, uh, probably struggled a little bit more than I thought. Now, those corners, keep in mind, Purdue fans, those are all brand-new guys. Purdue, Purdue doesn't have a single guy in that in that cornerback room that was on the roster last year. They're all either freshmen or transfers. So there probably is going to be a learning curve there. Um, but I, I didn't think we covered as well in the back end as we could have or should have, and Ryan Walters echoed that yesterday, as I said in his press conference. Um, so that was probably my biggest concern on the newcomers. You know, outside of that, I mean, look, you, you kind of you already we talked about Hudson Card. He, like I said, I the, the nice thing I thought for him is you know he did transfer in at semester last year, so he had that entire spring semester plus obviously all of summer and now fall camp to to acclimate himself to the new system. I, I, I think if I had any criticisms of him, I felt like maybe he should have run the ball a couple more times where he, where he tucked it and stepped out of pressure and then decided to throw at the last second instead of just uh, run the football. Uh, outside of that, I, I thought all of his reads were correct, that most of his throws were on time and on target. Uh, I had very little uh, very little criticism of the job he did. So, But I know you asked specifically about new new faces, uh, that the secondary probably concerned me the most. Again, I'm not jumping off the tallest building in West Lafayette just yet because I, I do think when they're all brand new faces, it's going to take some time. So, but that, that's that's what I would probably that's what I'd say to secondary. What is the tallest building in West Lafayette? You know, it's funny, Jake. As soon as I said that, my mind started racing. <laughs> thinking, what, would, what would be the? It, would, it wouldn't be the courthouse, right? That's in Lafayette, right? That's 
that's in that technically that's in Lafayette. And now that I think about it, what I don't even know. Mackey? Would it be Mackey? Well, I was going to say the top of Ross Age Stadium, maybe. That, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. But luckily, it's not tall enough that even if you jump from it, there's a chance you probably survive. So it's not all that <laughs> Don't bad. test it. By the way, what's your Major League <laughs> Baseball team? You're a Reds guy, right? Oh, no, no, no. I've uh, The Pittsburgh Pirates have always Bingo. been okay. my team. There we go. Rob? Yeah. They were. Again, showing my age in 1979 when they won, won the World Series, I was nine years old, so I thought that was a big deal. But, yeah, I've always rooted for the Pirates. There you go. Goose Gossage, 54 for the Pittsburgh Pirates. No. Oh, so you got okay. that. So you are looking for your Goose Gossage birthday. Joe Thatcher of Kokomo wore 54 for the Padres, but Goose Gossage, there you go. Thank you for that tidbit. I'll rest easy tonight. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Rob, appreciate the time as always, man, and happy birthday again. All right. Happy birthday, Jake. See you guys. Appreciate it. That's Rob Blackman from Purdue Sports. You know what? It was in, I can tell you, it was at, it might have even been at Bucky's in Texas one year during the race when Rob Blackman and I figured out that we had the same birthday. And then, shockingly, I, I would forget that because on that day, it's all about me. Why should it be any different than the other 364 days of the year? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Because it's not about them. This is about us. This has nothing to do with the team that's opposing us. This is about us. This ain't got nothing to do with the naysayers, the the unbelievers, the haters, the doubters. This is about us. When we started this journey, we told you it was gonna be trying, it was gonna be tough, but you endured because it's about us. That man next to you is a miracle. That man next to you is a believer. That man next to you is a go-getter. That man next to you is a dog. That man next to you is somebody who wants this thing. That man next to you is somebody who believes. That man next to you is somebody that gots to have it today. We ain't got tomorrow. We got now. We ain't got next. We got now. We ain't coming no more. Telling you, man. Colorado had the foresight. Go out and get prime time, and Jimmy, we both said it. Yep. Said Colorado's going to be ranked, and they go down and they win at. And I, I get it. I mean, you can say all you want. The TCU last year was kind of a fluke national runner-up to, to get to that point, but hey, they got there, right? And Sunny Dykes and the Horn Frogs, which has been obviously a very good program, and. Game number one, Deion Sanders, and, and there's a reason why Colorado went out and got him because he brings a swagger about him, and you hear that, and I mean, those guys are bought in, man. They are bought in, and Colorado has a lot going for it in terms of its program, not only because Deion Sanders brings that swagger, Jimmy, but Boulder, Colorado is 
I mean, is it, it's just everything about Boulder's cool, right? You know, you got million dollar homes and the 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 stadium with the Colorado written in the end zone with the mountains in the background. And yeah, there's not a single person under the age of 40 that cares about the fact that Mork and Mindy took place there. But like that city has just always been cool. The logo's cool. The uniforms are cool. And now they got a coach that matches all that. And I'm telling you, I believe you said they would be, I just simply said they'd be ranked by, I think I said on October 14th when Indiana goes in and stuns Michigan, which is going to happen, that before that, that by October 1st, Colorado would be ranked. It, it may not take that long, right? No, it won't. I, I said I felt like they could beat TCU. I agreed with you that they would be ranked. Coach's poll is out. They're 25th. They were unranked last week. The AP poll, at least this from SportingNews.com, is supposed to release around 2 o'clock today. So the coach's poll, um, any big – I mean, I'm going to guess – Clemson probably went from nine to twenty-three in the margin of error, twenty-one. Um, and, and again, I think that kind of hurts Notre Dame because it's in it's in Notre Dame's best interest to have Clemson be like a to have been a top ten team when yep. Notre Dame goes in there if Notre Dame beats them, right? Yep. Uh, other notable What's FSU? one: uh, Florida State is fifth, and then another notable one. Despite all the money they're willing to put into athletic facilities instead of architectural buildings, LSU falls to fourteenth. 14th, huh? Yep. All right. I, I I actually, well, I guess that that's a tip of the cap to Florida State that it's not that egregious a loss yeah. at home. But um, I don't know. Does anybody really feel bad when Brian Kelly loses? No. It's not altogether a bad thing. Mike Chappell joins us next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, I've known Jimmy, Mike Chappell, a pretty long time. Probably, I mean, I guess I've known Chap for 20 years, I'm going to guess, um, and had, you know, pretty long conversations with him over the course of those 20 years. And yet there is a question I'm about to ask him that I've never actually asked him ever once about Mike Chappell. I don't know that I've actually heard this question asked to Mike Chappell. Okay, you ready? Mike Chappell from CBS 4 and Fox 59 joins us right now on the hotline. Uh, Mike Chappell, I don't think I've ever asked you this. You have covered the Colts since the time of their arrival in 1984. You are the dean, as we talk about, of Colts coverage. So the question that I have is this. What was your sports writing role before the Colts loaded up the Mayflower trucks? How dare you ask that? See, it was such a good question, I stumped him with it, right? Out of the gate, throwing fastballs. Do you know the answer to that? No. I've only known Mike Chappell as a Colts beat writer. As have I. But his time as a sports writer in Indianapolis does precede when the Colts were here. Yes. Now, let's just go ahead and place wagers. I'm going to say he was the uh, a general college athletics assignment reporter. What's your guess? I'll say 
I'll agree with you on that one. Otherwise, I would say like heavy high school beat. I don't okay. Know. So Mike Chappell, um, I don't know if you heard it before you dropped off, but what I was asking you was, before the Colts loaded up the Mayflower trucks and came to Indianapolis, your journalistic responsibility at the Indianapolis Star was what? That was the first thing. Uh, they, I, I went to the Star in 84, which coincided with them. So I sort of, I was still still living up in Anderson. I'd been sports editor for 10 years. And I was getting ready to move down here. So I sort of backed up John Banch. But my early years uh, at the Star were small colleges. Some high schools, maybe uh, basketball, but small colleges, you know, DePaul, Wabash, Indiana State, Ball State. So that's kind of where I really kind of got busy with small colleges. And so at Anderson, I'm assuming, uh, along with being the sports editor, you were probably pretty heavily. Uh, you know, Troy Lewis and Winston Morgan and Stu Robinson and that group, right? There, I, I always say I was in Anderson during the golden years. I mean, they had 9,000 people on Friday night at the Wigwam and whatever Highland and Madison Heights hold it, 4,000, whatever it was. And there were years, I swear to God, I'm not just hyperbole, there were years that the Madison County All-Stars could have beaten the Indiana All-Stars. They were that good. Winston, Stu, uh, Brad Duncan, Rick Lance, uh, Mark Barnheiser at LaPel. They were Ray Talbert, still my all-time favorite high school player, Ray Talbert. They had a game when he was a senior, and Elwood was pretty good. And they kind of trash-talked him. They said, hey, he's no big deal. He blocked 18 shots. (laughs) (laughs) He showed him who the man was, but – and then my first year down here, I covered the, the tech sectional, I think it was. And they may have had, I don't know, 75 people in stands. So it was quite a culture shock from uh, my years at Anderson. Um, Mike Chappell joins us, by the way, obviously, here on the guest line. All right, Mike, let's begin with this uh, Colt standpoint. Uh, Shaquille Leonard. You know, it's interesting. He went into the concussion protocol. I never, ever, Mike, um, it's kind of been a goal of mine, I guess, just professionally speaking. When a player is dealing with an injury that is of the the neurological sort, I, I, you know, I don't question it. I mean, I get it. You've got to be very, very careful. Having right. said that, uh, the level of concern at this point for an injury that a couple of weeks ago we probably went, oh, he's in concussion protocol, he's out four or five days, whatever. What's the level of concern now that this is going to be something that's going to be much longer term than we anticipated? None. Well, none until he gets another one. <laughs> so, no, I think he, he he probably is in the final phase of – well, he is, which means probably one day of contact or, or whatever they deem contact. No, I've got – I've got zero. No, I've got five percent concern that that that's a problem. I my, my concern will be is he all the way back from the back issues. Which and that's that's the other question is from that standpoint, um, you know, with the back. I, I thought actually he was having a pretty good camp, but you see Correct. it much more closely than I. No, that, uh, everything that with our dumb eyes sometimes that we need to see, we saw, he, you know, he, he seemed to, to, to mark all the boxes. Uh, and, and the only one that we haven't seen is, is play full-time, you know, as, as much as he can play. Now, they're not going to throw him out there for 60 plays, I don't think. But I think he's done everything that he can do with the, with the settings that he's had to show people that he's ready. 
and and we'll find out we'll find out Sunday. I, I think he looks ready. Uh, I don't know that anybody thought he looked ready last year when he came back against Tennessee because it was obviously wasn't. But I I don't get that impression at all. They they really hurried him back last year. They really really didn't hurry him back this time. Hopefully the back holds up because this is a special talent. He just is. He he wears my butt out with finding things to motivate him. You guys doubt him. Okay, fine. Robert Mathis did the same thing. But this guy is a special talent, and Gus Bradley has never had him in this defense. You know, those games, those three games last year, that's not <laughs> – that wasn't Shaquille Leonard. So I'm looking forward to him being in his defense and seeing – what he can do because this defense needs playmakers because it doesn't have very many. Mike, there were reports that former Jaguars running back James Robinson was worked out on Monday. If the team is still working out running backs, is that more in your mind a commentary on where things might be at with Zach Moss slash trying to figure things out with this running back room? Or is it more just trying to add depth to a position that is going to be done by committee per Steichen, at least until the Jonathan Taylor situation is figured out? Yeah, yeah, both. I mean, both. You're always looking. I mean, you, you, you can you can find a free agent out there that's at least as good as, as Zach Moss. And I, and I don't mean to trample on Zach Moss. He, he he played pretty well in December last year when they really needed him. He averaged, I don't know what it was, 80, 85 yards a game and had 114 in the, in the last game, I think it was. But but you're always looking to get better. You know, Deion Jackson, he, 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 he's an okay compliment type of guy. But then you got Evan Hall and a couple guys on the practice squad. But this is not the kind of group you want to go into and say, yeah, for 16 games, this will work. You know, I'm not totally writing off Kareem Hunt. I'm just not. I was told the other day that that's not going to happen or whatever the the phrase was, but I'm not writing that off. Because uh, you, you need you need more. And, and if, if I'm the team, I'm looking to somebody – for 17 games, because who knows what's going to happen with, with JT? You just don't. At some point, he's got to come off of his 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 stance and practice and play, or or, or it's really going to get really going to get nasty. But this is, this is just doing their due diligence. And James Robinson's had some had a couple of good years, at least one good year in Jacksonville. But at the same time, I always come back to the same thing: these guys are out there for a reason. Teams don't cut players that they believe can help them. And, and like offensive linemen, I wish the Colts would have got a better offensive lineman on the waiver wire. Well, they weren't there. So, you know, you, you take what you get. And the problem when you're adjusting your roster now is you're doing it with teams, you know, discards. And, again, it's seldom that you get a really, really proven quality player out there now because there's always a reason. Mike, let me ask you this. Because I don't know the answer to this. I don't know that any of us definitively know the answer, but if 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 there's one that would, it, it would be you. Do you believe that the Colts, meaning Chris Ballard or Jim Mercer, either one, in the back of their mind, truly, stu, uh, truly still do want to sign Jonathan Taylor beyond this year? Right now? No. 
No, but I, I do believe they, they, in their heart, they're saying, first of all, show us you're not hurt, because Taylor's telling everybody he's hurt. That's a, that's a, that's a not exactly a strong leverage from a player to say, yeah, I want top money, but you know, I'm hurt. My ankle hurts. But I, I think what I think ideally for the team, not Taylor, they're saying, hey, come in and play the last 13 games, ball out, show people, show us, and show people that you're. The 2021 Taylor, although last year wasn't totally on him. I mean, the team was not very good. But And then they'll entertain that thought. But what they'll entertain is the franchise tag. <laughs> and that's what Taylor does not want. So if I had the plot in the back of the Colts' minds what they want, come out this year, the rest of the season, after pup and play, and then, oh, by the way, we'll, we'll, we'll franchise you. And, oh, by the way, we can do that again which is exactly what Taylor does not want. Well, because it, to me, Mike, it seems counterproductive to – and I'm not saying that they're, that that all things are motivated by this one thing, but when, you're, when you make the case that the running back position is one, as I have said, that is the most fungible position in football in 2023 – and if you're Jonathan Taylor's representation and you realize they're not going to give you that big extension because it's a position you can replace at 70% the production for 30% the cost, etc., don't you lose leverage in that discussion when you're still holding auditions or making phone calls for that position four days before your opening game? Well, I guess, I guess but, they, but you got you, you can't put everything on hold at the running back position because your star running back is – is out for whatever, sitting out, hurt, whatever you want to say. So you, you've got to do that. They'll do that at all positions. So I, it, it's just it's just a very very untimely situation for Taylor. Every almost everything is working against him. Still got a year to go, and and he wants top money, which he's not going to get either here. Although I, I, it's funny, I saw a note somebody reported that I believe. The person to report, I believe, they said that Miami and Green Bay were willing to pay to make Ty- Taylor one of the highest paid backs in the league. Whatever that, that's probably I don't know, thirteen million. I'm just guessing. But but then if that's the case, why why wouldn't they give up a second round pick for him? A second round pick and more. I, I think the Colts would have come off of a one if they had gotten, you know, the the, the two plus plus. I don't know. So it, it's it's just such a bad timing situation. It's the imperfect storm of things going wrong. He has clearly outperformed his contract. Clearly. You know, anyone who says, and, and when people say, well, you know, he's just back and this, it's garbage. It's garbage. He, he, he's an elite player. And, but again, there is that, that, that notion, proven notion that you can get by with lesser Lesser talent, less less expensive talent. Put it that way, and and all of that. You know, go back. You know, Kansas City Super Bowl with a seventh round draft pick. Well, they had Mahomes for crying out loud. Let's not let's not go overboard on that. So I want to see how how this thing transpires. And something's going to happen. Has to happen in in like five weeks when he's when he's able to come off a pup, and then he practices or he doesn't. I just don't think the Colts are going to willingly let him stay on pup all year, which he'll get paid. But then here we are again in February or March when the contract tolls. So 
I think there'll be some kind of a hard decision made by the team to where they're going to make him, they're going to say, no, we think you're healthy. No, I'm not. And then, and then you get other parties involved. And that's when a nasty situation really goes over the line, because I don't think this team's going to let him stay on up all year and just say, oh, yeah, get that ankle right. I don't think that's going to happen. Mike Chappell is our guest. He's with CBS4 and WXIN here in Indianapolis, Fox 59, talking about the Colts. Mike, Chris Ballard essentially ended his press conference the other day by saying, you know, about Jonathan Taylor, like, look, making the point again as he's made, look, we won four games last year. You know, hammering home that point. We, we, we won four games. Um, give me an area. We know that quarterback, they made a change. We'll take that one off the table for you. Uh, give me an area where he made his team better from last year. In the offseason, ooh, uh, boy, that's one you just kind of threw at me. Uh, I don't – Josh Downs, I guess. I guess. But he's a rookie we don't know. Free agents, uh, kick, kicker, I, I guess. I, here I am scrambling, which means I'm, I don't really believe a lot of – hopefully Matt Gay is better, although the kicker last year was pretty good. So, yeah, I, 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 know, what you're, I know what you're saying. I know what you're indicating. This is not a strong roster. It just isn't. This is not one of his stronger rosters. They're like an injury away at a lot of positions from really Bernard Ryman. You know, I think he had a very, very strong training camp. If he goes down, you're hurting because you don't really have a viable left tackle backup. I would argue that the best the, the position you are best positioned to have an injury is quarterback. If Richardson gets her, okay, you know Minshew's got his limitations, but he, he's not—he's uh, he, okay. I was going to say he's not awful. That—that's not a compliment. I think they can get by for a while without with Minshew. I don't know if I'm talking, you know, uh, the left tackle, the right tackle, uh, uh, one of the defensive ends, DeForest Buckner, maybe maybe Buck. Nah, he's he's that good. But they've got depth on the interior line. But no, this this is a roster that that a couple of key injuries and people always get hurt. It's just who and where. This this fragile roster can really start struggling. I hope that's not the case, but it's certainly a possibility. Chap, to kind of build off Jake's question because we had that conversation: where is the roster better or not? And I'll, I'll preface it this way: we you never want to see anybody lose their jobs, but that is the nature of all businesses that at some point it's time where rubber meets the road and a decision has to be made. The prevailing thought, at least in past conversation we've had with you and when Jake and I have discussed it is that Anthony Richardson brings with it a new lease on life to some extent for Chris Ballard. At what point though, and it's hard to write this team off week one in a season that we know they're not trying to compete for things, but at what point can you look off season after off season and see where the team has had its shortcomings and think to oneself, I trust this gentleman to build around my future franchise quarterback. I don't know. Uh, uh, At what point is that a fair years, question, years, I guess? Two years minimum. I'm thinking three years. But, you know, you're, you're right. It, it's. I, I think there's a lot of areas Chris has done a really good job. But the problem is, I say he, they haven't been able – to fix quarterback. They haven't been able to fix left tackle. 
and they haven't been able to fix, I'm talking long-term, which long-term, five or six years, pass rush, edge pass rush. Well, those are the three money positions. So, yeah, I, I but, but I'm telling you, Jim Bursay trusts him. He does. And it's, it's, it's rare, I think, that a team after whatever it was, five or six years with the GM, gets in position for the number four pick and that GM has the opportunity to, to use the pick. Normally, that's not the case. But I, I there, there's no question the owner trusts Chris Ballard, but it's also very true that, that they have to be right on Anthony Richardson. They have to be. If, if not, in, in three years, you're doing this all over again, and and then the, your roster, they've gotten old, you, you flip your roster over, so... He has to be right. I think he knows he has to be right. And it, they, they just, not revisionist history, but there were there was only like one chance where they could really reload a quarterback after luck left, and they didn't. Uh, they tried to get by with what they did, and that's no way to try to grow as a franchise by going from this guy to that guy. A lot of us thought Carson Wentz might be a long-term answer. Well, the, you know, wrong. Uh, so they've got to be right here because if not, this is not going to be a fun franchise to be around for the next, I don't know, four or five years. It won't be. I'm apparently going after people's heads today, so I apologize for that. But the other question I wanted to ask you, I was happy they retained Gus Bradley, but very rarely do you see with new coaching hires every position, especially a key position like defensive coordinator, be retained without serious influence from the head coach. And I know that he has a previous relationship with Gus Bradley, so he wouldn't have signed off on it if he didn't like him and trust what he brings to the table. But in a season where there's so much concern about how the development of Anthony Richardson is going to go along while also accepting that the wins might be few and far between, is this an evaluation year for Gus Bradley? And if not, how will he be evaluated by how this defense performs? Oh, coaches get it. They get evaluated like players. And if this defense is as ineffective as it was over the last half of last year, then then they'll be very much suspect. I, I I thought they I thought it made sense to retain Gus. I like Gus, but that you know that doesn't weigh into anything. But when you're when you're totally overdoing overhauling the, the offensive staff, except for what Reggie. He might be the only one still here. To, to do the same thing on defense, boy, that really puts pressure on the head coach to come in and, you know, just just blow that up too. That That's a lot. There's decent pieces in place, but you, you, they, they've got to – you know, it's, it's time for Quiddy Pig to be, to be a guy. It's time for Dio to be a guy. It's time for, you know, so many guys to, to step up and, and not be just – six or seven sacks, but 10, 11, 12. But I wasn't surprised Gus was is back. But they, it, it's performance-based. It's performance based. It all is. So they've got to play at a decent level. There's some guys say, well, you know, the rookie quarterback and this, that. No. They've got to do their job, too. And he's got to do his job with rookie, either rookie or inexperienced corners and, you know, a, a thin safeties. And it, it, it's just not – conducive to success but we'll know early on Jacksonville's pretty good Jacksonville's loaded but, you know I, it, you know it's one of these where yeah you, you've got us before Jacksonville we expected this and then they 
pee down their leg. These guys look pretty good. They got a quarterback and they got a head coach. That goes so far. And, and then, you know, Calvin Ridley and, and Christian Kirk, Travis Etienne, they, they're loaded up. They're going to light it up. They're going to put points up. And can, can teams keep up with them? Can this team keep up with them? I don't know. And that, that's going to be on Gus to limit the damage on Sunday because there will be damage. And, and Micah, I, their defensive front four to me. You know, we talked to John Osher earlier in the program, who I know you know that's down with Jaguars.com now, and he was saying last year they were able to pressure quarterbacks. They didn't always close the deal on sacks, but they do have, I think, a young core of some defensive guys in Jacksonville that are pretty nasty, man. Like those guys, you know, it. I think you're going to have – Richardson could potentially have his hands full in, in, if they're not able to protect for him coming up on Sunday. Would you agree with that? Yeah, this isn't going to be like uh... – Jacoby Reset, what was it? Was it eleven sacks? What was it that one year? It's not gonna be that. This line will be better. They're gonna they're gonna keep Richardson either short throws or you know, quick throws and, and outside the pocket. But yeah, I, I, that's why I say Jacksonville looks real. Because they've got young talent at the key positions. You know, quarterback and and, and Ridley and and they got you know, young pass rushers, so I like what they've done. And if Richardson's out there getting sacked six, seven times, it's a long day. Because you're, how do you – the best way to, you know, slow down a pass rush is a, is a – not to say strong, but a reliable run game. Well, we don't know. We just don't know. So it's – it's Sunday's going to be so interesting. They, they've shown us very little offensively to Colts at what they're going to do and how Steichen is going to scheme things up. But at the end of the day, you know, all the RPOs are great, and, and we need to check on what the, the, the franchise record is for rushing by a quarterback. It's not all that much. This, this kid's going to get it. But at the same time, you know, look at Chicago. It's great to have a running quarterback, but you sure better be able to throw the football because that's what the NFL is all about. It's got to be Ricky Turner, Mike, right? It's got to be Ricky Turner running the wishbone. That's a record. Back in, back in the day with Ron Meyer. God love him. <laughs> hey, last question. I'm going to put you really on the spot here. You ready for this one? Ready. In my opinion, there is one definitive answer. So you will be judged if you don't come up with the answer that I have in my mind. On the Jake scale. Okay, That's go right. ahead. You're on a deserted island. You've got the entire... Beatles discography with you and a CD Ooh. player to use an old term. Guy rolls up, gets off a dinghy. You get to chatting with him. He says, what do you do around here? And you go, well, I listen to the Beatles. And he says, I've, I've never heard of the Beatles. What are the Beatles? And you try to explain it to him. And he goes, well, play me one song that most illustrates who the Beatles are. You can only pick one song. The song you pick is what? A day in the life. Bingo! Chap got it right. Have we had this discussion before? You know, I have circular conversations often with myself. That that has to be the correct answer, right? Yeah. I thought you were going to say album. I was going to say Abbey Road. But yes, it's a single. It's day in the life. And and when you're listening to it, you got to crank it up and, 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 and let that last chord play out till till forever. By the way, you know that the the song, the beginning of the song, um. When he talks about the, the the guy in the car, right? You, you know that that is it. Guinness is that right? It was a, it was um, either Paul or John 
witnessed a car crash and really? where where a young person unfortunately was obviously fatally injured a young man and it was a guy in a in a lotus sports car and he was speeding and he missed a red light lost control of the car and and crashed and he was the heir apparent to the guinness brewery fortune wow if I'm not mistaken i have no idea why i know that how and old it, are you jake how old are you uh 51 now you know you've got all this dumb information in your head and it, it works for you on radio when you're 60 you're sitting there in your recliner it's still going to be in your head then what are you going to do with it it just takes up space <laughs> <laughs> I know because there's no way I'm doing a radio show in nine years, let alone nine months, Mike. Right? I hear you. <laughs> we know that for a fact. Chap, appreciate the conversation as always. I'll get you next week. All right, that's Mike Chapel on the hotline. He's right, man. I mean, trust me, I have these circular conversations with myself all the time. It has to be a day in the life, though. And, and I was fascinated when Paul McCartney did. Um, oh, what's the guy's name that does the karaoke, James? guys help me out here the late night tv guy james corden james corden thank you when james corden did it with mccartney and they went back to liverpool and they were in mccartney's childhood home and he was saying like oh yeah right down the street is the bus station where like i came up with a day in the life and he was talking about i'm riding the bus and that was right here and you know all of that stuff to me it's like man now i've got to go there i've got to go and see i just have this this weird thing with if i hear about something enough times in my life eventually it's like well i've heard about it so much now i have to see it i've sure. got to experience it you know what i mean like it's just a weird people ask me all the time when i'm on the road like why do you go to these strange places and historical sites and oftentimes they're negative sites right like where someone something tragic happened and i'm like i don't know you just you read about it enough you got to see it right you got to see it for yourself um speaking of music by the way a little bit from the weekend that we haven't touched on uh, that we will next. I want to get your thoughts on something musically speaking, Jimmy, and we'll do that on the other side. You're listening to Query Company here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Interesting story about this guy. Um, back in the mid-70s, Jimmy Buffett, as the story goes that I have read a couple of different places, originally aspired to be a country musician which is actually interesting because if you really truly listen to the way he sings you can kind of hear a little of that in him um but jimmy buffett had toiled around as a songwriter and you know small performer singer in the early to mid 70s with dreams of being a country star and so he moved to tennessee i believe I'm going to guess like 75-ish, somewhere in there, to Nashville, I think it was, to become, you know, a a recorded country artist and and just kind of never took off. So finally, he wrote one particular song and his big break came when he knew the right people that knew the right people and got the song that he wrote in the hands of the management team of Elvis Presley, 
who agreed to have Elvis record it for Jimmy Buffett with Jimmy Buffett getting the songwriting credits for it. And you can imagine that in the 70s, having Elvis Presley sing a song for you, I mean, you get the royalties as the songwriter and you're going to be swimming in cash. And unfortunately, Elvis Presley passed away in August of 77 and was to record the song for Jimmy Buffett in 78. So that song, Jimmy Buffett's friends, family, whatever, said, listen, you ought to just put your own twist on it. And you spent a lot of time in Florida. Why don't you do it more of like a Caribbean type feel to it and and just change the overall theme of the song? So he did so and recorded the song that he'd written, which was Margaritaville. And that became obviously a brand for Jimmy Buffett in terms of just being the song and the music that was synonymous with the kickback soaking up the suns and the sun and and having a cold one and leisure lifestyle was jimmy buffett's entire mo my question for you jimmy cook your level of i guess fandom of jimmy buffett and did you ever see jimmy buffett in concert never saw jimmy buffett in concert i would put the level of jimmy buffett fandom at, at a mainstream eight my late mother really liked jimmy buffett uh Margaritaville, it's five o'clock somewhere, cheeseburger in paradise. I have very fond memories of trips to Florida when I think of like trips out to restaurants or, or sure. just a, just on, on the beach having a cheeseburger. Like I, I, I remember those songs popping into my head. And then, of course, I know it's not around anymore, hasn't been around for what, probably six, seven years, but cheeseburger in paradise was right there on Southport. Uh, I always thought a pretty good restaurant. I, I love Cheeseburger yeah. in Paradise. And uh, shout out to uh, their chocolate nachos. I always enjoyed those the night dessert items. So I don't know. I won't. I'm, I'm a mainstream music guy to a lot of extent. A lot of my playlists are, are hits. There's artists I like too. But Jimmy Buffett was a hit maker. And of his, what, eight or nine biggest hits, three of them had a large impact to the soundtrack of events of my life. Eddie? Uh, I would probably summarize it in the same way as Jimmy. I knew the hits, but I wouldn't say I was a a guy that had them on any of my like playlists by any an, means. To an extent, it's kind of like Bob Marley. Now, let me finish the thought there. I, I'm not saying his music is the same as Bob Marley, but if you guys are like me, I mean, a little bit different generation, but I think some things just pass along. Like when I was in college there was always somebody that would have like once a year, somebody would have like a Jamaica themed party. And so Bob Marley legend is what they basically a Jamaica themed party means everybody wears like, you know, a, a Jamaican style t-shirt or whatever, and then puts on Bob Marley. Right. right? And, and, and Jimmy Buffett's kind of the same way. The Jimmy Buffett greatest hits album, tape, CD, um, you know, pod or what do you call it now? Playlist. You know that you would have like a, in the middle of January, somebody would have a party, right? That was like an island-themed party, and you show up and you wear like a, a beach shirt and flip-flops and put that that on. I think that's how most people know of him. And then the concerts, obviously. Yeah, I mean, a majority of the parrot heads they were of the baby boomer generation, and I'm sure there's a lot of people. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm slightly stereotyping my parents and others with this, but particularly in the Midwest and snowbirds and people that like to go down to Florida oh, for the winter. Fair. It's a, it's an easy one on the playlist if you're guaranteed to hear one of those songs. Now, one of the things about Jimmy Buffett, who, by the way, uh, in his band, the Coral Reefers, one of the musicians in that band is a native of Indianapolis, John Lovell, whose father and my father worked together. Um, and John was in the band, uh, you know, still is a member of that band. Um, so certainly condolences to him because – you know, I think it's a loss for sure. Your coworker, your friend, and Jimmy Buffett. One of the things about Buffett 
from a local standpoint that I had not realized, but then to me it seemed kind of fitting, was this. Uh, Jimmy Buffett was scheduled to play at then Deer Creek. I'm assuming it was called Deer Creek. Maybe it was Verizon Center by then, but we know what I'm talking about. On September 11th of 2001. And obviously the concert was canceled because I recall... You know, I remember on 9-11, like watching the live coverage, I was working at Channel 6 at the time, and Dave First and I worked together, and I remember, you know, by, by the middle of the afternoon or whatever, you're watching all the coverage, and Dave First called me, and, you know, like anybody, we kind of didn't know what, like, what's the protocol here? I mean, how do we handle all of this? And Dave said, I, I don't I don't think we're going to have a sportscast tonight in the news. And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I think you're probably right. And, of course, we ended up not even having a newscast for like four or five days because it was just nonstop national coverage of all of it um, for for so long. But So Jimmy Buffett was scheduled to play that night. And I went back and looked at his 2001 tour dates. And, of course, you know, obviously I'm assuming by noon that day they canceled the, or postponed the September 11th show. And he came back and played on September 25th. And there was part of me when I was looking at it that thought, wow, like that seems almost like too soon that it would have been two weeks after the World Trade Centers were attacked, you know, that, that we were attacked and the World Trade Centers collapsed. Because if you recall, and that, it just was such a, a blur standpoint of, of the American culture. Like no, nobody really knew how we were supposed to behave and react and, and move forward and etc. And in hindsight, when I was looking at the the calendar, and this was just the other day when I had heard that he had was scheduled to play on September 11th, and then it said that he played on the 25th, and I thought, boy, I, I wasn't there. I'm curious what the mood must have been. And then it dawned on me that actually, in terms of concerts to resume getting back to life, Jimmy Buffett on September 25th of 2001 in Indianapolis what is the perfect concert. And the reason being, music naturally has its way of doing this, but more so with Jimmy Buffett than anybody, Jimmy Buffett's concerts and his entire MO from a music perspective is to allow the consumer to avoid where they are for the, for the moment and take themselves somewhere else. So when you live in Peoria, Illinois, or Indianapolis, Indiana, or you know Helena, Montana, and you put on Jimmy Buffett's music, you are instantly and right then escaping yourself to your feet kicked back on a boat or on a beach somewhere, listening to the seagulls and listening to his tunes and just forgetting about life for a while. And so therefore... For Jimmy Buffett to be the concert on September 25th that was the first concert again in Indianapolis after 9-11 actually is fitting because his entire MO was a way to allow us all to just simply enjoy a two to three hour window of forgetting about life in that moment to escape. And his music did exactly that. He was a brilliant songwriter. I was not a huge fan, to your guys' point. I didn't dislike him, but just like you guys. Like, I knew of it. You're aware of it. It's the soundtrack of, you know, so many moments uh, just passing by in your life. But 
to be able to have the ability as a songwriter, a musician, an entertainer to allow people an escape, albeit even for a temporary standpoint, is truly a gift. And he did it as well as anybody because not only did he take people to allow them to escape the office for three hours, he allowed people to escape the cold for three hours, to escape their, you know, the, the, the rat race for three hours, or in that case, to escape the realities of the atrocities of what were going on in the world and letting everybody know that in fact, they and life and the city were all going to be okay. So it seemed to me very fitting in seeing that, that Jimmy Buffett would have been the show that, that kind of bridged those two areas for us as a city and as a people. We'll come back, put a bow tie on it, hand it off to John as well. It's Quarry and Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Huge fan of this song, Eddie. Nice job. A shiny penny for you if you can tell me the artist. You're probably looking right at it, though, right? I am looking right at it. I can't do it, so no penny for me. Uh, What if I told you if Mick Jagger and Angelina Jolie went into business together? (laughs) Got nothing for you. Is that fair, Eddie? Uh, Yeah, I bet. You probably first thought would be Botox. That, too. (laughs) This is Lips Incorporated, right? Yes, yes. It's a good song. That reminds me instantly. That song... There's like three of them. Pop Music by M, that song, and Celebration by Cool and the Gang all remind me of roller skating parties at USA Skate Skating, which I don't even think exists. Is that why you like it so much? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. It's going. It, I don't know. I can remember. I, Jimmy, you're probably like me in this regard. You have older siblings, correct? Yes. Have, have you noticed that when it comes to, in particular, like sports in general, but but certainly with pop culture stuff, as a kid, you probably had more clear memories of your childhood than your peers that did not have older siblings. Okay. So I, I think that when you – I'm the youngest of three. And so from like music and television and things like that, I have very clear memories of – my like age five through 12 much more so than my friends that did not have older siblings because i think they didn't have somebody that was you know dragging them into hey let's watch this let's listen to that you know exposing them to those things you know what i mean sure and so and and admittedly they're very fond memories for me so yeah stuff like that i hear it and it takes me back instantly to that where i'm like oh this is cool you know uh bill benner by the way thank you for listening bill who has seen i don't know if you know this or not but um the Moody Blues Bill has seen in concert uh, 184 times. Uh, he said, I was at the front row of that Jimmy Buffett concert on 925. It was cathartic and important. Um, uh, Jimmy Buffett would take your last two minutes as the biggest compliment you could extend him. Well done, somebody said. Well, I appreciate that. But I, again, I was not like a. I think that's the goal of any fan. performer, by the way, to your point, is regardless of what's going on in one's life, to be able to escape and forget the world sure. for a bit and just enjoy a musical performing act is 
the best compliment I think you could bestow upon them. Uh, by the way, I wanted to let everybody know as well, if you are looking to maybe even escape the job you currently have or you're looking for another one, then join us for The Fan on Wednesday, September 20th from 10 until 4 for the Radio 1 Martin University Career Fair. You can get your foot in the door for that new job, have your resume reviewed by HR professionals, and get a free headshot. Again, that's all September 20th from 10 until 4 at Martin University. All of the information at our website, 1075thefan.com. Dot com. JMV has walked in studio. You got a big one lined up? Um, yeah. You guys are talking about Buffett, huh? Yeah. Hey, how'd yeah, it go? The bomber. It's good. How'd, how'd your show? It, it was good. It was wild. It wore me out. It was like one thing in radio that probably wore me out more than anything I've ever done was that. It was, really? It was nonstop. Nonstop. But did you guys see that Gary Wright passed away I saw yesterday? That. I'm a Weaver, big right? Gary Wright fan. Dreamweaver. What, what was here's, Love is Alive. I was going to say, what was his other song? I mean, Love is Alive and... Uh, is it, do I really want to know you or something like that? From the very early 80s. How many people Rocky. do you think, uh, Gary Wright, how many people do you think, John, were introduced to that for the first time because of Wayne's World? Oh, easy. Whole new generation. Uh, totally. Yeah, whole new generation. Great song, though, right? Yeah, that's, that's kind of why these guys are, are still around, too, because now this generation's been introduced to their music in different forms, like Yacht Rock, thanks to technology, where technology can be a pain in our ass, right? But technology is good because it introduces... I mean, Gary Wright was in Gas City, Indiana with Al Stewart, I think, three, four years ago, playing a festival up there. Seriously? He died yesterday at the age of 80, so he was 76, probably. It, and I saw um, yeah. dementia, I believe, right? Yeah, I think so. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. It is. Now, how was you? How was Portland? Uh, it was great. Um, you know, I went to the Goonies house on Saturday. Oh, that's nice right there. Uh, so I that, like it. So that was cool. Uh, you know, the race was good. Polo was pretty dominant. He's going to join us on the show tomorrow, which is cool. You going to bring him Series shrimp champion? chips? Uh, you know, I, John, I should bring you back. Uh, you should, yeah. Wasabi-flavored shrimp chips I bought at the San Francisco airport and was passing them out to people. And Ed Carpenter even acted like he liked him for a second. And then I gave the rest of the bag to some gal. And then she ate like a handful and said, if you don't mind, I'm going to throw these away. And she went and threw them away. Can you imagine how picky Ed is on food? <laughs> I know. Uh, can you imagine? Right? Um, I don't know about that. I think he was just being folksy. Like, speaking so low. I have, When I talk to Ed, i got to get right up in his grill because I can't hear it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, just, I don't know about the shrimp chips. <laughs> Such a low-talking dude. He is, but... Great dude. Hey, have you seen, had the, uh, what's it, Utz or Utz, U-T-Z potato Utz, chips? Utz, yep. Utz. Yeah, yeah. They have a crab flavor that's out there. Do they really? They do. Well, these are actually made I can't imagine it's any good. I yeah, they are not. I was so excited because I brought him back from San Francisco, and then Jimmy found out you can buy him at Meyer. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, lug yeah. him all the way back. You get him at Meyer. That's right. All right, John, have fun with it. All right. Yeah.